ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special Christmassy edition, because we're recording this on Christmas Eve. Woo! Santa, baby! I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means. There's there's many songs about having sex with Father Christmas. That's what that means. You know what? Let's just, before we, but uh, hello guys, hello, by the way. <laughs> How much um, wine have you had? <laughs> not enough. No, just, this is something I was thinking the other day in the car while I drove alone. What were you? To some, to some destination. It's just the fact that there is a lot about getting down and having a business with Santa Claus. And it's mind-blowing. Like, I guess he's powerful, but he's also, <laughs> like, an ever-living god at this point that okay. shoots around the world how many songs are there about banging santa i could probably if i if i had prepared for this i could probably find at least seven <laughs> big ones as well there's uh hurry down my chimney oh yeah that, we that, all know that what that crazy. means we all know what that means you know what i'm saying <laughs> special delivery do you mean santa baby yes or as it's better known, hurry down my chimney. <laughs> now, why are we talking about songs about having sex with Father Christmas? Because today we want to cover something very dear to us. <laughs> and yes, you've guessed it. It's Necromunda. Woo. Woo. Now, I, Henry, Jacko, one, of the, one of the hosts of this program, one of the million hosts. Yeah. Uh, I did research on this because, spoiler, we we fucking love a lot about Necromunda, but there's, there's firm criticism. Yeah. I prepared five pages of notes. Jesus. And to anyone that is fresh to this scene, to this happening vista, I never come with notes. Ever. Does it by himself? I do it by myself. With the like assistance of a jolly man. <laughs> <laughs> typically it would be me turning up with the notes when he comes Yeah, to you me. would have the notes and I'd just be like, your knowledge. Mm. Because it seemed to work. And I'm lazy. <laughs> mm. Now the this I was best. like I was like I'm so I'm so fucking passionate. I'm Leonardo DiCaprio in this scenario in Romeo and Juliet. This okay. is a terrible film, which I couldn't even make it five minutes through. Okay. That's an important aside. Now, <laughs> in those five minutes, I saw the kind of passion that makes a man write five pages of materials, notes, on Necromunda. Now, in, in, normal, in normal society, five, no five pages of notes is nothing, really. Come on, let's be sensible. That depends what it's on. But it depends. It yeah, depends yeah. what it's on. And it depends on the unique characteristics the, the important plot points that would each be a discussion of their own perhaps even a five-minute discussion per line of these pages good lord would you like to know where these pages are <laughs> you don't have them written you do you i left them at work <laughs> i i brought them home i brought them home and I proudly said to Alan, this is the first time ever I've turned notes. And somehow, <laughs> I managed to take them back to work. I do not know what I'm doing. Do you have uh, like, I, an idea of where you're going with this? Because I, I was counting on you for this. 
no, no, no. I, I've got, I've got several ideas. I've got several ideas. But the important thing is, is I lost my notes. I think I can remember most of it, but All right. this, this might be a bit I, scattershot. This I, might I be a bit inaccurate. Jack Daniels to my thing. Let's, let's try and get this open. Alan may be ridiculously shaking shit in the background here. Uh, it's going to happen in a second. Don't worry. It's going to be the backdrop of this yeah. podcast. If you like. I'm trying to think. What's that thing where people make noises into the AS, ASMR or something? ASMR, that's it, yeah. Okay, thank God for that. Because I, I really wanted to say MDMA. If you're really into MDMA, you're going to love this podcast. <laughs> now. <laughs> the audience just overlaps. They just, yeah. It just helps if you're off your tiny tits. Now. Oh, now, God, now, now. Joe Daniels. Necromunda and a lot of Jack Daniels. Get ready. Um, get ready that could be the title of the episode. That could be the title. That's true. We could, yeah. Hang on. Uh, maybe we can get a sponsor from Jack Daniels. Brace for the ASMR. <laughs> God, they love it. Do you want to? Do you want to comment on ASMR? I don't understand ASMR. Neither do I. Neither do I. Relaxing, and it could be anything. It could be from like rain outside to crackling from hell. I really hate ASMR when people lean into the microphone and like whisper stuff. It it just unnerves me. It creeps me out. I don't know what it is. Could be anything that. Anyway, that's enough about ASMR. I, th I think close micness can be funny when deployed properly. Yeah, when when deployed well, yes. Yeah. But when it's like a hey, come and relax. It's like okay, all right, not for me, thank you. Now Necromunda, what is Necromunda? What is this unique? Beautiful gem that has all men weak on their knees. It is fact. Forty k, but smaller and with old rules. No, no, no! Not just I mean, old rules. Not just old rules. New rules, which are old rules. theme. But old law. Oh yeah, that's as well. Necromunda is dripping. It is completely <laughs> sodden. <laughs> with the fluids of old law. And my God, does it pump me full of vitality, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, God, that's true. Because, yeah, I, he, he's drinking a protein shake with Jack Daniels in it, and I told him don't do Jack it. Jack Daniels honey as well, and Jack Daniels honey is not my preferred choice. He's a madman. This is what we're dealing with on a Christmas podcast. Mm -hmm. Now, Necromunda... It is a bum bum bum. It's a what? It's a planet. Oh yeah, cool. Bum bum bum. <laughs> and it is a wasteland. It is an ashen wasteland with the only civilization that exists there in any true form are massive towering spires of metal that are the hive cities. And there are nomads that exist out in the ash wastes, but they are heavily mutated, and they live an incredibly hard, violent existence yeah. that very few can endure. Slightly inspired, possibly, by, you know, Judge Dredd. Just a little bit, just a teeny bit. I mean, I'm not complaining. Like, if you're familiar with Judge Dredd, or you're ready for Necromunda. If you're a fan of Judge Dredd, spoilers. Get on this shit. Did I, did I with tell a crack you about how, pipe? Brief aside, brief aside, hang on. 
We'll get back to, get back to the Parsons podcast in a second. Listeners, if you just wait a moment. Henry, did I ever tell you about how uh, old philosophy teacher used to have a copy of, or you had a copy of Judge Dredd number one, or the, because it wasn't Judge Dredd, it was like a different comic which had the first Judge Dredd comic in it. He had oh, it. Oh, yeah. And then he, he threw it. it out when he went to university. Because <laughs> he thought, oh. What a fool. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I'm too old, fool. I'll just get rid of it. <laughs> Good God, yep. that's painful. That is painful. I knew him when he was like in his what fifties, and he still regretted that decision. <laughs> as you would, yeah, as you fucking would. Like, never mind just the monetary point of view. Fucking metal. Okay, but that was fucking metal. But so is Necromunda. Yeah, the segue and segue complete. And Necromunda is within these spires, and even across the planet is an extremely feudal-like structure. So the planetary governor is like the king, the despotic, and he has the keys to outer space. What The only way in and out of Necromunda is through his personal family spaceport. And that's a powerful thing. And he has to do an immense amount of politicking, corruption, bribery, destruction, and plotting to maintain control of this planet. He does a fucking good job of it, considering... A hell of a job of it. His family have ruled Necromunda for 7,000 years. They don't just do that by being a bitch. (laughs) A bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So that's baller as hell. Like, number one, we've already recognized that this is not the scenario. This is not the setting for Karl Franz, the emperor of Warhammer Fantasy. That's right. We put Warhammer Fantasy back in the episode. We got it. We're hitting the quotas. Now, he was an impeccable statesman, an all-round good chap, excellent general, excellent aristocratic romancer, beautiful man. Lord Helmore is the king of Necromunda. He's the planetary governor. First of all, what a fucking name. Helmore. And it's spelt the right way. It's M-A-W-R. Moore. Oh boy! <laughs> That's I'm working on a, on a on a production. It is. Oh fuck yeah! Because they're they're proper boys. Because they're Greco uh, aficionados. Now, this boy is a boy. He is a a fucking sweet dude. And at no point does it say he's actually you know a straight up good guy. You know you can just bump him on the shoulder and be like, yeah, he's he's a hero. He is. The savior of Necromunda. He's not the savior of that. But actually, I'll, I'll take that back. I'll he's, take that back. He's he is the savior of. He's a ruthless bastard. And he keeps everyone alive. Mm. And that is the message of Necromunda. It's not about living a good life. It's not about being a party animal. It's not about, you know, all that crap. It's about survival. And just surviving is the goal. Necromunda is a, like it, it's a delicate ecosystem. It has a lot of moving parts and a lot of potential places where it could break down and cause huge problems and mass deaths everywhere. And you have to keep all of those plates spinning, which he does marvelously well. And this is also like old law because there is a fragile aspect of the law. So the planet itself, his grip on the planet, the the hives themselves are so 
fragile. And that could be the insidious powers of chaos corrupting the hive from the inside out. Or it could be gene stealer cults that have infested the hives. It could be outside invaders, you know, because this is just a planet in a galaxy at war. You are a plaything of the gods, you know, such as when a small orc invasion entered orbit. One rock fell from this massive orc fleet that was by the Imperial Fists. Good job. Good job, guys. One rock fell, and it destroyed a hive. That's all it takes. It's like a sneeze. Not even that. It's it's like a, a smaller eh, cough in the galaxy, and your planet is fucked. That is like old law, because old law, it used to be the demons are inside everyone's minds, and any moment that the psychic potential of a human being you know, is discovered, it is open to the perfidious dark powers. And that's something that returns in Necromunda as well. It returns to the whole fear of the psyche. You know, the psychic awakening of humanity is incredibly important in Necromunda. Because imagine you're in the one of these giant spires, these incredibly densely packed, heavily populated, structurally weak hive cities. And you have someone in the that have a massive psychic blowout. Good fucking God. Or demons. Demons yeah. in the middle of a hive. You know, yes, there are, you know, entire regiments of the Imperial Guard that are summoned from Necromunda, and it has a standing planetary defense force. But even still, these are demons inside the walls, you know. And it's so fantastic. And another thing that it, it restores, on the same line of fear the mutant, purge the heretic, is that it's all about fear. It's all about casting out the psychics. It's all about casting out the mutants. It's, you know, they do this because their ecosystem is so fragile that they cannot sustain the chaos of mutants or psychics. They literally cannot sustain it. They have to kill them. They have to get rid of them. And so you have the mutants. Oh, sorry. I'd say people are monsters by necessity, not so much by they choose to be. Some certainly are. At the same time, the only way you can keep any of this running is through monstrous, terrifying things. Such and now just purging the mutants. Purging and banishing, mutants. banishing all the, the shit. And uh, what's fantastic about the way that it's written, let's just talk about the way that it's written for a moment. The law is... Oh! Mm, 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 bellissimo. <laughs> it is so good to digest. I love a book with good law. Like, reading a book with good law is like a high-definition porno. It's great. <laughs> Just great. Because one thing that it does so well is it does no moralizing. It does no, mm, oh, what a shame they have to kill all these people. I mean, in our lofty society, you know, looking at these people, mm, they're very basic, aren't they? Very, we condemn their actions. None of that. Fuck that shit. It is all just a matter of fact. These people have to die to keep the ball rolling. These people have to die so the many can live. The few die so the many can live. And the book's not ashamed about it. It, it doesn't, you know, oh, yes, oh, well, we wish that Reboot Gilliman would turn up and turn it into a wonderful planet that everyone could be naked could. and fucked in the trees. The he could. He, up, he could make it a perfect paradise immediately because he's just so amazing. He could get his balls out in orbit and that would cure the planet. <laughs> it just worked the psychic radiance yeah. from his balls. <laughs> would cure the planet. Flash, you know? Just 
dropping the screws. Yeah, the new meaning of the Primark flashbang. Rupert <laughs> Gilliman turns up in orbit and drops his balls. <laughs> Would that lead to like a, so the... a space marine, like Ultra Marines imitating him? Like Rupert Gilliman goes to war with his tackle out, and you then have a bunch of other space marines who, well, Ultra Marines, just like, well, the Primark's doing it. It's not at the Codex, but it's got to be. It's got to be done for a reason, and we should probably. It's it, it number one. It is in the Codex, and number two, that very moment is forever remembered in the banner of the first company. <laughs> it's just a banner of Rupert Gilliman getting his balls out in orbit for planet. <laughs> first chapter, baby, the veterans, they were there. They remember. And uh, that's how he brought peace to the orcs. He just got his magnificent balls out. Yeah. And some all his strength. <laughs> and wrapped his mighty balls around the head of the biggest orc. And choked him to death, at which point all orcs became subservient to Rupert Gilliman, the biggest cock in the universe and that's our reboot Gilliman quota yeah so with Necromunda so with casting the, the purgacious uh, nature of the heart what can you do about it so the heart of is complete uh, simile or metamor meta metamorphosis these are not the words. Sorry, the high what? You, you cut right out. <laughs> Every time you went high and then it cut out and then carried on normally. High what? Uh, the hive. The oh, hive. hive. Oh, you the hive. Yeah. The hive itself is a mm. very literal representation of the culture. So at the very top of the spire, you have the few and the elite. As the spire comes down, it gets broader and broader and broader. More population, more population, but a worse quality of life. So towards the bottom of the, the hive... It is literally a den of factories, manufacturums, um, food production. While most importantly, being rammed. I didn't catch that. <laughs> the internet here is so shit. <laughs> I was just saying, while most importantly, being rammed. It's completely round. It is completely round. And what's beautiful is the high, the spires themselves are growing. They're building and building and building, and they keep going up layers and layers and layers. And what happens is the spires themselves sink further into the ashen wastes. So as they get taller, they actually become heavier and more dense, so they shrink more into the, the underground. And the old hive, because sections just get abandoned, uh, you know, a section of the hive will have its, its usability uh, completely depleted, and they'll just abandon it. So manufacturums, you know, once they run out of materials, once materials move to another area of the hive, they just abandon the manufacturum because they simply, you know, they they have to meet their quotas, they have to meet their ties, and that's because it's a desperate struggle against um, against society. <laughs> My own personal agenda slipping in there. <laughs> no, it, it's a desperate uh, bid for survival in this this world, and in order to do that, you have to have this extremely uh, rigid, unfair structure. And Lord Helmore is the dude at the top of it. And he dictates everything throughout the hive. And it does a really nice job of giving import to all the sections of the hive. So, you know, you have Lord Helmore at the top, who is always politicking. He decides who rises, who falls. And this is a very delicate thing that he has to do to ensure his own power is sustained. Because obviously, a, a rival house get you know equal to your sort of power level you have to do something to destroy them such as one of the other hives used to have an interplanetary port 
therefore the Hellmores made it so you had to come through this specific space station. I mean, it is borderline a star fortress. Like, it is a big jobber. Uh, and any spacecraft that enter to reach this rival hive, it would blow them out of the air. And therefore, there's a giant waste wasteland on the planet of spacecraft that was shot down because they dared to defy the Hellmores. We're moving away from the doing what's strictly necessary to survive and more than keeping hold of power. But, you know, it's a... It's yeah, I mean, it. It, it's all part of it. But, I mean, in the Hive itself, it, it's a desperate bid for survival. Yeah. I mean, Lord Helmore, yes, okay, at the top, they're creaming off a lot of uh, the juices, if you like. They're making a lot of money. They are staying very powerful. Uh, but, again, it keeps the whole thing running. And, yes, we are occasionally going to commit genocide you know on accident by accident yeah, 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 yeah. it just happens it just happens it's nature it's <laughs> fine as long as you didn't intend to do it it's just an incidental genocide but the way that the book is written it gets you to admire the Helmors for like yeah fuck it you know if, if you're going to stay in power you've got to stay in power you've got to do it with an iron fist you can't just be this floppy in the wind people will wipe their asses with you that's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> fine continue don't tell me you wouldn't <laughs> wipe my ass with a floppy leader no with a floppy napkin a floppy leader. well they cut out when he said napkins all i heard was just floppy nothing then wipe your ass with you. i'm like i don't know where he's gone with that <laughs> i said floppy napkin okay yeah. okay <laughs> floppy leader that's not just yeah, wiping no. ass with a floppy which is <laughs> Well, <laughs> if it gets it clean, this is Necromunda. <laughs> so, in the hives, there is no natural light. It's all just, you know, these hollow lumens, which are just, you know, day globes. Uh, fluorescent bulbs for the uninitiated. Fluorescent bulbs for the uninitiated. Get out! Get out of this podcast. I, I imagine, though, they're particularly always, like, yellow or orangey, and either way, pretty much constantly flickering in the shittier parts. Yeah, with a, a small sort of hum yeah. from the light. It's never like a. It, it could maybe work as a really brutal white, but I don't think they'd do it. It just doesn't suit Necromunda. No, and at the very least, the lens would be all dirty and smutty. And yeah, so this is this is a land of desperation. This is a land of uh, limited resources. I mean, Necromunda itself is nearly mined out. They have nearly mined out all the metals and precious resources of the planet. And God, wouldn't it be interesting if they could do this with a larger scale? You know where it's a monstrous system barely held together by people who are ruthless and competent and all the resources are running out. God, that'd be awesome. But you're forgetting that the Ultramarines exist, aren't they? Exactly. I know, that's what I'm thinking. The Ultramarines fix like, everything. The 40k was like it, but it's okay, we've got Ultramarines. We've got Ultramarines, we've got Call. No, nothing matters anymore, fuck it. But this is what this book returns to. This is what Necromunda is returning to. The grim dark. And it is just, it is finger licking good it is just ah oh, it you know when you have something that you used to really really love like your soul was dancing in with it okay you used to really love it like playstation one like some games from playstation one when you first played that game before playstation 2 was even a, a you know an idea before it was in the crowds yeah when PS1 was out, the highs felt in that game period. I mean, you know, 
even a few select choices from other consoles, when you really first play that game that is just incredible and you think there is another human being in this universe that understands you know, decent, decent shit. <laughs> there we go. Decent shit, there we go. You began that. so strong and tapered off so hard. My, my brain forgot where I was midway and I had to remember what I was talking about. <laughs> my brain is not a, a loyal subject. So, and yeah, th this is what Necromunda is to me. It's like a rediscovery when we first got into Warhammer. It, it is a restoration piece of fourth edition. Uh, and it's gorgeous. It is so good. There is not a drop of Primaris. There is not a drop of blood missiles. There is not a drop of bloody wolfen boys. <laughs> it is not that there's at all. There's not a drop of Harkin the, uh, the world claimer. Yeah, there's not uh, Spear Boy and Dinner Dress Man are yeah. not the greatest threats to the universe. Dinner Dress Man actually looks a bit better when he is the model in the flesh. Okay, but it's still a dinner dress. Oh, yeah, no, it's that's still just a good. Like, he looks ravishing yeah. <laughs> for a man that's going to end your world. Just <laughs> there, like, you know, the fancy uh, 1920s ball. Everyone's sort of turning up, like, dinner guests, like, oh, it's Lady So and So. Just and a just massive doors open space and just ring. Chaos Sorcerer walks in in his dinner dress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Like, it's, it's somebody's trying to like you know escort them home for the evening. Like, well, if you could come back to mine, ooh, maybe. Or ooh, maybe. Should I say? <laughs> and they go out to like their car, 1920s automobile. Driver gets in, settles down, pats on the side seat. <laughs> space Marine Sorcerer climbs in, crushes the car. <laughs> <laughs> what an exquisite specimen you are would you care to sit in my Bentley <laughs> oh you're so charming oh. I, uh, I didn't quite catch that but uh, it's fine you've got a little something on your face grill <laughs> <laughs> it was blood <laughs> I have a Nakachief. <laughs> Nakachief. <Yeah. laughs> Let me dab delicately. With my Nakachief. <laughs> it's like a handkerchief just for the for the testes. And now I'm imagining they're like on... like It's, it's, it's cut two to like ten years later and they're just on a beach together holding each other. <laughs> what, like two small children. <laughs> in space marine power. Yeah, running around in the sand. Also... They're last guns because they've got to be non-lethal. Oh yeah, last guns. <laughs> Uh, they're going back to the neckerchief for a second. Now, like people have like handkerchiefs, like poking out like a little like yes breast pocket. You mean a four square? It's exactly the same. It's just poking out the top of somebody's pants. That's what a neckerchief is. Neckerchief, <laughs> get your knacker on, son. It's they the adverts done by Danny Dyer. If anyone doesn't know who Danny Dyer is, uh, he, he once did a impersonation. Uh, it was somewhere in between. Danny Dyer is a man that did a program about the world's hardest men. Think of that of what you will. Now, <laughs> Necromunda. Necromunda. So in this pressing, hot, uh, artificial... Uh, in, it's just crushing endless corridors of steel. Life is hard toil. Life is meeting quotas, it, punishing work regimes, overmasters, gang leaders... Um, you know, immense cruelty. You are not... a teeny tiny cog in 
a teeny tiny machine and an entire just like fucking pile of millions of machines essentially. That's that's how infinitesimally small you are as someone in Necromunda who's constantly ground down and replaced. Exactly. Emperor's Light does not pierce the walls of the hive. Now, as you get further down in this structure, so you have the manufactoriums, you have the forges, the furnaces. Who runs these? Well, in an excellent display of law, and this comes from old Necromunda, uh, beneath the hierarchy of the monarchy, if you like, Lord uh, beneath his cronies, the the upper classes, all the uh, nobles, house nobles. Yeah, thank you. Uh, That's what I'm here for. They are run by gangs, and the gangs are the six major houses of Necromunda. So you have House Goliath, House Asher, House Vanser or Vansar. Vansar. Do not put your penis <laughs> into the manufacturing. <laughs> we are the fancier. <laughs> Damn it, I'd name Ooh one la of my la. chaps. Uh, I must have named one of my chaps Donga. Yeah, what, one of the dudes is Donga. Perfect. <laughs> He's already called Donga. Uh, I said Escher, Goliath, Vancer, yeah. Orlok, Cordor, uh, and Delac. Delac, or Delacroix, as I like to call them. Now, these different houses, they've all got their own specialties. We're not going to go into that. We've done it before. Check We've out done our it. episodes of Necromunda. Oh, we're getting better at this. So, all the different <laughs> gangs. Six gangs. Uh, they all, all own different parts of the territories. And what's really awesome is that they all have, to use a naughty phrase, they've got a finger in every pie. <laughs> now, what does that mean? So, House Goliath, we're going into it. House Goliath are like the meathead, uh, junked up, and by, by junk I mean steroids, junked up meat boys. <laughs> who, they're to look at them, the, yeah, they're, they're, bred, they're bred like cattle, is the phrase that's used. They are meant to be the biggest, toughest, hardest boys around. They are bigger than space marines. They're nutty. They're, they are nearly classed as an abhuman by the Imperium, or strangely different to normal human physiology. Now, consequence of being very, very big and very, very muscular on a diet of pets, uh, they performance-enhancing drugs. Okay, thank you. Down with the lingo. Um, they're not very smart. It's very, very rare that you get an intelligent Goliath. They are mostly just dumb. And you would think, well, this makes them suited to, you know, heavy labor. And predominantly, they do work in the forges. They do work in uh, the furnaces, incredibly hard, hot, uh, inhospitable, high-mortality workplaces. But because they are a gang, because they are, you know, the key resource is money or credits, they will take over other businesses. And what's awesome about that, what is awesome about that, because... There is always a danger to kind of paint, uh, you know, gang or an army in 40k into a too particular corner. Mm. Kind of like saying the Inquisition would only ever fight demons. Or saying that Tau are always perfectly morally good and have never done anything evil in their lives. Yeah, and they would never do anything bad to anyone ever. Yeah, yeah. You're painting them into a narrative corner that just limits possibilities. And that that was kind of a danger with Necromunda. I was always a little bit worried 
you know, with like Goliath, they'd say that they just do the forges and all the, the gambling and the prostitution was done by, you know, other gangs. No, 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 Goliath do that as well. Excellent. <laughs> now, I'm imagining like a Goliath in stockings and a miniskirt. It's not, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. No. <laughs> as my fan art will attest. Yeah. Let's get like a binder of like 50 pages. This is dated in 2004. <laughs> well, I, uh... yeah, I had the basic idea then. I've just been refining it ever since. The preliminary sketches were yeah. <laughs> completed. <laughs> Allow me to show you. Like, wall slides up, reveals supervillain's lair. Just a series of various erotic Goliath arts. I call this the Lusty Boy Range. <laughs> and I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I've seen enough. Meanwhile, there's one like GW exec, just like no, oh, no, let him, let him carry on. <laughs> let him finish. <laughs> Let's Which see where this led is to going. The starter set being Goliath versus sexy women. <laughs> Goliath. Um, yeah, so it's it's a man fest out there. Never mind. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just saying. So these different houses. Now, what is important to know about the houses? Well. They vie for power, control, and money with each other. And it's kind of worked into a very stable-ish society. Because tithes are king. So production production is absolutely fantastic. And the gangs will fight each other for contracts, you know, similar to modern-day society. And in order to gain contracts, they might see opposition should fail. So let's say the Dilak, they get a contract to supply 8,000 units of Prometheum. Well, the Goliaths think, actually, we put in a bid for that contract. Uh, we didn't got it. Therefore, if we can stop Dilak from providing 8,000 units of Prometheum, then they will fail the contract and it will go to the next bidder. It will go to us or, you know, someone else. So they'll actually try and sabotage each other. Now... What's awesome about this is that the book says that Lord Helmore is very intolerant of this. So he will allow it to a certain degree. Like, there is a very hard limit, and that is the tithes. So long as they meet their quotas, we're happy. They can do what they like to obtain the quota. If they do not provide the quota, Lord Helmore is pissed. Because the only reason he is planetary governor, because as powerfully as he is on the planet... He is the tiniest speck of dirt to the Imperium. Mm. Yeah. And if he does not meet his quotas, if he does not supply the right amount of munitions, Imperial Guard, food, uh, all sorts of off-world, then he will be replaced. The administration swing its mighty eagle-headed hammer and destroy him. Fucking... Ah, oh, it's fantastic. How the biggest, most awesome, powerful bastard in the setting is still a worthless speck. God, I miss those days. It's so fucking good. It is so fucking good. So the gangs have to create shadow wars. They can't just out and out go, this house is going to go into a massive with your house and we're going to destroy each other's production. Both of them will be destroyed. And it's very clear. I mean, there were houses before the Glass, before the Orlocks, before the Deluxe, whose destruction has come about because they failed to meet quotas. Therefore, they are destroyed. They are removed by Helmore. Or, I mean, not, not even to the level of Helmore. It could be a noble responsible for the contract might have them destroyed. Because that's how important the quotas are. 
So the houses realize that, yeah, they have this seat of power, they have this small dominion within the hives that they occupy, but it's very delicate. Again, it comes to that fragile nature. So they have to be realistic. They can't just be like, yeah, burn it all to the ground, because you will burn yourself. You will be burnt. Lord Helmor will make you incandescent with his powers. <laughs> and that's fucking awesome, because the first, the first thing that you look at with this, you know, because Necromunda, spoilers, it's a gang-based game. It's in the Underhive. It's about House Escher and House Goliath having it large with weapons. As you can and see your in first, fan art. As you see in my fan art. Boys with toys. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was an orc subreddit. I stayed for far too long. I apologize. I was just curious, you know. I, I thought it, you know, I was confused. Was it? it was clearly a breather, but why was it there? Mr. Brothers Grimdark, you submitted 2,000 posts to that stuff. Oh, uh, yes, well, I, I seem to have got confused there. I thought it was a, a, a cooking channel. Yes. Is this uh, not your fan art? <laughs> this is a drawing of a Goliath with your face being rammed by a bigger Goliath. Ah, yes. <laughs> Article 274. Yes. That His own out. pride let him down. Yeah. <laughs> He couldn't denounce his own works. It's a goddamn masterpiece. Take him away. <laughs> Apparently in this far flung future there is no homoeroticism. <laughs> anyway. Um, where were we? Oh yes, Hercules. So, so the gangs have to conduct shadow wars against each other. And again, so long as the quotas are met, Lord Helmore will, will tolerate it. Not matter how many have to die in Necromunda, so long as the planet survives. And that's great. So where do the gangs, where can they conduct their messy, damaging warfare? And that is below the manufacturers. That is into sections of the hive previously used that are now disused and collapsed under the crushing hive above them. And that is the underhive. This is the setting of Necromunda gang war. Took us forty minutes, but here we fucking are. It took let's us talk about the game. Forty minutes. So let's talk about the game. Let's have a look, shall we? Now, brother Alan. Yeah. Give us a rundown of your experience in Necromata. Go, go from start to where we are now. Have you discovered? Uh, who have you been with? What well, is I, the journey? I spent quite a while with the Esher. Uh, that was fun. Hang on. Mm. It's been a while with the airship. Okay. <laughs> and in that time, um, I lost one or two games. It was pretty infrequent that you'd yeah. lose. Um, and we, and we actually played a hell of a lot of Goliath yeah. versus Escher. We really did. Because spoilers, I played Goliath, and I fucking love Goliath. And we uh, we probably played like a dozen or like a dozen or more games, like at least a dozen, I'd say. And well, more than that, because. We played several skirmishes in a campaign. We did, yeah, yeah. We played quite a lot of Goliath versus Escher in, yeah, in the starter box. We got the starter box as soon as it came out. We were like, "We're on this. We're invested. We're enjoying this." We had a whale of a time because it was because while we were having fun with Eighth, it was like there's all this stuff like you know blast templates and all this silly shit we loved. And whenever we were because there was like okay, when a grenade goes off, it knocks somebody backwards, 
And then one of us just went, oh, if somebody gets, you know, knocked over by a grenade, what happens if they hit a wall? Is there, like, a rule for that? And there was. Like, they thought through all of that. It's like, oh, it's wonderful and great and fun and lots of cool stuff. And we really enjoyed that. Um, then there was a bit of a break. And then we've, uh, we've done some stuff with Van Sears versus Goliath. And my experience with the Van Sears has been fucking nightmarish. Uh, I've, uh... <laughs> I bought some Vanseer dice to go with them, and those dice should not be used by any human being ever. They really are cursed. Yeah. Like, I... he is not making it up. At some point, when we get around to doing video, uh, we will show you a video of how imbalanced these dice are. Yeah. Like, for anyone that doesn't know, Alan rolls high. That is the expectation when you approach the table. Now, these dice reliably roll one. Impressively like, so. There seems to be the five and the one. It likes those two, but more so the one. Well, the <laughs> Which is an issue. It is an issue. The best example of this was when we had numerous rounds, and it should have ended after a certain point, but we just kept on going, um, of my leader of the Van Sears versus one of your dudes. Was it a leader? Was it a champion? Was it a regular dude? Who was it? A bloke. It, I think it was a, a guy with the, the rivet cannon. Oh, yeah. Which is a gun that fires giant rivets. Superheated rivets. Which, in modern society, you might think that's ridiculous. <laughs> in Necromunda, a dude that is like seven foot tall, built like the biggest shit house you've ever seen, firing nail big as your forearm at you, I'm fucking terrified. Yeah. Pants thoroughly shat. But yeah, so trying to shoot to this chap. And Van Seer, Van Seer, leader, hits on a 2+. plus. was firing a melter gun at him. So it wounded on a 2+. plus. And there's about seven rounds of rolling ones when trying to hit. In a row. And then, like, the one time it did hit, it rolled a 1 to wound. And we were back to it again. And then eventually it hits, and 1 to wound. It was demoralizing, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, so I think the Van Sayre experience has definitely put a, a Debbie Downer on your, your necromantic. That's fucking dice. Fucking. Yeah, it is the dice. It is the dice. Um, so, I mean, so we, we got into the. Beautiful. They're beautiful little dice. They are absolutely stunning. But they are so stunning that I. And keep them in like a velvet bag yeah. as like the cursed dice. That's true, yeah. So like if every lunch game, we just bring out the velvet bag. And that says it all. And it's like, oh shit, we okay. are on for a game. I know what they are, Henry. They're the balancing act. Yeah, they they are that when back at the dawn of time, when the deal was made between the gods to give me the luck I have, they're to seal away my bad luck somewhere. And it sealed them away in these dice, and they found their way to me. Created in Zeus's forge. Yeah. <laughs> 7,000 millennia ago, anticipating the return of the Vrolar. The Van Seer dice. Wait. Van <laughs> Legend spoke of Alan. <laughs> the man's name was Alan. 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 Um, I'm getting them a velvet bag now, that's awesome. Yeah, we need them in like a velvet bag of destruction. He's like, do you want to see what the inside of a black hole they, looks like? Oh, when we find somebody who's luckier than I am, 
that's what I'll give them. I think we need to find someone that's smug. Someone that's really smug. But I was thinking more of like, you know, a and symbolic like, You're the lucky one, you need this bouncing app. But if there's a smug asshole who's like, I'm the best ever, use these dice. <laughs> I think, yeah, if you approach a table and there's a man luckier than you, you have to kneel and present the velvet bag to him. <laughs> Not saying anything, and he just nods. He just nods, knowing that it's his time. Yeah. But I don't think we'll find that. I have never, I've literally never played against someone that is at have all. I played against people who've debatably had loaded dice as well. I, I have played against a man who definitely had loaded <laughs> dice, and he did not roll as well as you, which is bizarre. Which is bizarre, because the really funny thing was, is that everyone in the shop that would be like, oh my god, that guy who's dice, they seem to be rolling so well. I was like, Wasn't it the man well, they seem to be rolling okay. <laughs> people were like, no! <laughs> was this the one who like refused to let you go anywhere near his dice and always rolled them? This like- is... This is the dude that not let you use his dice. He would pick them up after every single roll, put them back in his pocket, and produce a different die for different tests. Mm. Suspicious. He would not leave them on the table, and you could not roll them. Yeah, that's okay. Like, I, I never, I never want to roll somebody else's dice, really. You know, unless there's a good reason. Um, I don't think people tend to go like, "I'm going to use your dice," but at the same time. If you're like deliberately hiding them as best you can and like making sure that nobody can go okay. near them, that's when it's like I don't, warning signs. I don't mind people using my dice. I do not mind it. But what I hate is when people mix my dice. Oh, when I've got a beautiful set of turquoises and they have a shitty, mismatched, you know, crappy dice set. Like... You know what? I, I, I will admit it. I have a dice fetish, okay? I have a problem. I love dice. I love the smell of dice. I love to roll dice. I love to look at them. them. I love the taste of them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go further. <laughs> I'm, just oh, saying, six. I'm, I'm just saying they fit. They fit. Yeah, they do. They're snug. Now, so I, I love my dice. I'm a dice aficionado. Whenever they release sets of dice that are anywhere near a faction of mine, I will buy them. Yeah. I have... 100 orc dice <laughs> custom orc dice because fuck it i love them and i hate it when people are like oh i've got a really shit set from monopoly from home and i'll mix it with yours it's like dude either roll mine i don't have a problem with that or roll your own do not mix my fucking dice with yours and then sometimes they'll try to steal your dice because they're mixed in with theirs and just be like oh i shovel everything from the table into my bag no, I have 16, 16 mil turquoise beauties, and I will have all of them back. Revealing my anal retentive side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were saying something before all of this, that to be fair, I, uh, nice dice are nice, to be fair. Yeah, they're beautiful. They need like a black velvet bag. Black velvet! <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or, okay, so we started the very base game of 2017 Necromunda. And I think if we follow the journey of Necromunda, we follow our hobbying journey, we come to the conclusion of the podcast. (laughs) So we we got the base set. Now, this is all about how our life got twisted upside down. Damn it! And we had to use the templates for square... No, I can't go anywhere. Um, So this is uh, Necromunda Underhive. This is... Uh, the Zone Mortalis boards. Now, these are one-foot square boards that you use to make up your battlefield, and they're like printed card, 
uh, really beautiful artwork, really nice mm -hmm. color scheme. Um, and for people like Alan and I, I love terrain, I love scenery, but I also hate making scenery and painting it is a chore because I've got minis to paint and I'd rather paint minis than terrain. No, you need so much terrain to populate a board and then you've got to store it. So having these two, um, two dimensional, you know, to a degree, uh, printed battle mats that were a completely reconfigurable uh, battle board it's just fantastic. It's yeah. just amazing. It, it is your game in a box, and I love that. That is so good. And people try and defy that by putting terrain on them, and like because there's a sector mechanicus as well. You can play Necromunda, which is a four by four board using standard forty k scenery. I mean, we'll try at point, but when you have a game nicely packed away in a box, yeah. And it's self-contained. Why do you need to elaborate more? That's just our feeling. The zone mechanicus is to us. It feels less necromundary because it's suddenly like, oh, we're outside or in a very, very, very big building. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird. And also, I think the second we do that, it's when the Van Sale will just become gods immediately, like overnight. Because yeah. the second you give them that free, that free reign of like where they can aim from and just be like on a legend, look over most of the battlefield, you're going to get sniped from a mile away every single time. Yeah, and the mobility of the game does not suit massive boards because your guys are moving like four or five inches a turn. Uh, and it's not like, you know, yeah, you can double move, so the maximum you can move is eight inches or ten inches a turn, which sounds fairly good, but you've got to remember that you're being shot at all the time. And these guys aren't space marines. Gangers in Necromunda are fragile until late, like campaign games where you get all the equipment and all that shit. You're very fragile. So you don't want your dudes just out in the open being shot while they run places. Like it, it just, and then if you get pinned, it's it's another thing. We'll go into that later. Um, so anyway, we really enjoy Zone Mortalis. Is, yes. When it came to that starter box, though, it was great. We had a lot of fun, but it was abundantly clear the game wasn't entirely finished as of yet, because you had the rules; they were great, and the gang stuff was just fine. But it's like, look, there's four more gangs coming, and each time we're going to add a bunch of rules in with it. So like, okay, that's great. And that box had a certain roughness to it. It was yeah. clearly not only just incomplete, but not refined. It's not as if we had, like... Um, okay, say, for example, uh, Kill Team. When that came out, it was essentially complete, but also quite refined. They added more stuff in, but it was kind of a complete package by itself. And all of it kind of worked in of itself. Whereas the Necromunda box, there was a lot of stuff where you're like, I'm not sure about the wording on this. Um, the balance seems iffy in places, but give them the next year and a bit to finish everything off. And then, fuck, we'll have an amazing finished product. That was our point of view at the time. And with that base game, I mean, one, one of the clear sort of indicators of was to come is that simply in the base rule book you did not have rigid enough rules for a good campaign yeah it was kind of like a you know when you get um oh my god i can't remember its name necrom necrons versus admech what was that box set called and we fucking love forge it Bain, how fucking dare you for forge Bain, I, i'm sorry how i'm sorry fucking dare you i know i've portrayed the religion i understand i will Destroy yeah. my body. <laughs> but Forgebane. I do I do fully regret not remembering that. Forgebane. Um It's what got us back into eight. It got me into it's what got us. It's got it got me, you into eight. It got me back into Warhammer, Henry. It was the infection vector. That's how good it I was. I haven't even made all of it. 
I'm gonna go up to <laughs> That's let, let's ignore oh, that. That's a blip. Yeah. That's a blip. And we'll return to that because we fucking love Fort Ben. It's insane value. Anyway, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's good it's value. Just so, so for ninety quid, you... <laughs> <laughs> that is the exact reason why I end up getting a Chaos Star collecting. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Fun fact, just... by the way, people. Um, recently, uh, I, I ended up in in town. And I, I met up with my mate, and we, we had lunch. And we had a few drinks with this lunch. It was kind of like with one, and then it escalated to a few. And we, we were like, you know, we weren't drunk, but we were, we were pleasantly, pleasantly tipsy. And they wandered around some shops they wanted to see. I'm like, well, fuck it. If you've done that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a look in Games Workshop, and you're coming with me. And they were like, oh, that looks cool. They're like, oh, I'm kind of interested. And I got to introduce a new person to the hobby, and that was amazing. I got them a little start. I said, get that starter set. It comes with some paint, some stuff you can do, uh, make and paint, etc. I've got some glue, that sort of thing. And that was nearly it. But I was a bit drunk and I was like, I kind of want something now. <laughs> and I saw that chaos start collecting. And I was like, it's good value. It's damn good value. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I knew I was fucked. So, moral of the story, when your inhibitions are low, do not go anywhere. Yeah, don't. Do not <laughs> drinks and go to Games Workshop. You will buy everything. You will come out with something worth value. <laughs> I nearly walked away with the brand new Necromunda box, which is like £175. I didn't. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But, but it's a lot of stuff, though, Henry. It's a lot of terrain. It's got two gangs, a book. I mean, dice measuring. We, we'll, we'll come back to that one. We'll come back to that one because it's on the agenda. It's a lot of. It's a lot of money for a lot of box. Yeah, That's all I'll say. Meaty. But then we've got to come back to where we started. Let's start with the very first Necromunda game. So with the new box, Dark Uprising, you get two gangs and three D terrain with a printed paper. Matt, okay? Hmm. Now, you get all the accessories, you get like barricades and doors and all that sort of stuff. Now, in the game that we got, it was half the price of the box. Yeah. It was £75 for two gangs, the rule book, the plastic barricades, all the templates that you need, some cards for the gangers, uh, dice, tape measure. You know, this one comes with all that same stuff. It's double the price, and it's like I'm paying seventy five. Okay, it's more than double the price. So the the first box was much easier to get into. Yeah, like I love Net, but even looking at Dark Uprising, I... that's a lot of money. That's yeah. a lot of money to sink into this. And not only that, but you will need two boxes. You will, if you want to use the terrain properly, you're going to need two boxes of that terrain. Really? Yes. Oh. That's already over 300 English pounds if you want to do it properly. Oh. Now, anyway, so come back to our journey. So the first rule book, you know what? It had charm. It had oh, so yeah. much charm, and we were so happy with Necromunda as a product, we were willing to overlook the glaring issues with the rule book because there were, you know, things, wording was confused, uh, a lot of the scenarios, the game scenarios that you play... Uh, yeah. Kind of like they feel bodgy. They feel like a kind of ah oh, shit. We need six scenarios. Well, Just come up with one. They also seem like they were kind of still in the ideas phase. In that when you come up with the ideas for like scenarios and stuff, you'd be like, oh, let's do all this stuff and it's cool. But it then requires additional testing and refinement to make it like fit for full release. And it seemed they were still just at the ideas and concept stage, which is fine. But at the same time, not really there. And also in our defense, though, in our defense. We didn't know how good things could be at that stage. Because I, I think our, our, our relationship with Necromunda would be, at the very least, slightly different without a slightly different 
thing that got released this year. Was no last year, but fuck it, we got into it this year. <laughs> to be fair, we got into that shit. So yeah, so I mean, Necromunda was kind of the start of the the real return of the small games for GW. Mm. Uh, now, I think the most exciting time with any of these box sets, any of these new game systems that come, is literally when it's first out the gates, when no one knows the meta, no one knows the strategies. We're all just finding our feet, and I think that's really, really a lot with board games as well, because there isn't all this activity of how to meta the game and how to jank the system. Like, I find it depressing sometimes when I look at games that I've really enjoyed and you're kind of you're finding your feet with it, and you look online, and people, yeah, this is how you cheese it. This is instantly how you cheese it. And it's like if you if you go straight to cheesing, you lose out on so much of the game. The in discovery my and all that, the, the fun experimentation of things. Yeah, and like a lot of people just go straight to power gaming because they win, and it's like, oh my god. So anyway, so our games with Necromunda. What did we find with Goliath versus Escher? Well, funnily enough, I actually did a Reddit post very, very soon after the first Necromunda box that came out, Necromunda 2017, as it's commonly called, or NE17, or N17, um, or NM17. <laughs> I think N17 and, was the Normandy from Mass Effect. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. That's embarrassing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so I, I actually, I posted on Reddit about this because I was so... in you know, impassioned, uh, because all the time on Reddit, people were saying, Goliath is a stronger gang. You know, they're strength four, they're toughness four, uh, it's a small map, they are just bashing the shit out of the strength three, toughness three. better armor save as well, like it's... Better armor save. And my... You're not actually playing the game very well, because Alan and I played against each other. Alan's a good chap, uh, he knew that Goliath's on my jam, he knew that I really liked them, he let me just... Be the Goliath player. Oh, fuck it, yeah, obviously. And you played the Escher. And what we found is that both of us found that the Escher were better than the Goliath. Yep. Because they have higher mobility, cheaper, more efficient shooting, and shooting... Uh, there's there's a phrase that comes with Necromunda, which is pinning. And that if you fire another ganger, uh, you take a shot with a weapon, and you hit them, Without before you roll to wound, before you roll any of the damage, uh, before they roll any of their saves, they have to lie down on the ground because they have been pinned. This is important because people in Necromunda have two actions, and so you can move twice or whatever, or shoot or aim and then shoot, which is the real big one. Whereas if you're pinned, you have to spend an action to stand up before you can do anything else. So all of a sudden, your Goliath ought to be like move in and get, starts twatting people. Um, you have to spend an action standing up and then moving, but you're not shooting back. Whereas the Escher can sit there, aim, and shoot you, so they're hitting on threes or twos, potentially. And the scenario becomes very interesting, because if you have one person that is always on one action with every ganger, versus the person with two actions, the person with two actions is just going to win the game. Mm. Like, it's just an odds thing, unless you have, you know, ridiculous toughness and ridiculous saves. You know, but the, the Goliath are outnumbered. So the Escher have more girls, more people, the Escher all women. They have more girls versus your men. Uh, they have cheaper shooting. They have more guns. They have more firepower coming down range. So the person that shoots more 
will just win. And the, the other thing that's really important to remember is that to charge someone, enter close combat with them, you can't move to them and then hit them. You actually have to charge them. Now, charge is a double action. It takes both your actions. So if you're pinned, you automatically cannot enter close combat. Super important. Super, super important. So... I was on Reddit. There was all these people complaining about the balance of the game. They're saying Zone Mortalis really favors Goliath. I hate Zone Mortalis. I can't wait for the 3D terrain uh, because the game didn't ship with 3D rules. Zone Mortalis rules. But just mad and livid. So I felt impassioned. I did write a massive page of just why the Escher are better. And this and, was done like factually. It wasn't just like a rant. It was you went yeah, into. Yeah, actually, I think you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> raise glasses <laughs> actually <laughs> no and this actually came about because Alan's a good player like any rule set we get typically you're the better player and very quickly we found out just because we'd the game we'd reset we'd play again play again reset play again mm. you know in that time we just found yeah okay the Asher they've got this edge they've got this advantage um and like being the Goliath player, being on the receiving end of the Escher, I was still having a great time. Like it wasn't just one of those games, you know, like versus I don't know, how I don't know, Wait, <laughs> where you set up hours. your army. Two yeah, hours you said... of I lost in the first term, but let's get to the end and find out that I lost in the first term. Two hours of I will slowly remove my army from this table while pretending to have fun. <laughs> You killed the ghost kill with Mortaria. That was fun. <laughs> That's all I did. That's all I did. It was a 2,000 shooting gala. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that, you nearly had that one. That one was like inches away from being done. Yeah, from a, from a pure objective point of view, yeah. I lost completely in terms of models and being tabled and all that sort of stuff. Well, yeah. But... So, but, so, okay. So, yes, Escher was stronger. They won the majority of scenarios. Sometimes I could get lucky, sometimes I could play and it would work out, and I could get the win. Um, you know what? The game just so damn enjoyable. Key point here, when you're playing for fun, as soon as you start meta-decking, as soon as you start playing this game optimally, you have lost Number one, you'll mind. Uh, and number two, you will not have fun with the game. You really will not. And that's why our starting games were so good. Because we didn't take optimal gear. We just took, you know, fun stuff out of the box. The way that we wanted the gang is to play. Um, fighting knives, swords, you know, expensive equipment. Just because, hell, it's fun. We want to have fun with these models. Yeah. If you really want to break the game, you can do it so, 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 so easily. Which is a with problem. Necromander. Like, it is a massive the, problem. As much as there's the, um, if you try and play it competitively, you ruin it. And placing the onus on the player, a lot of it goes to the designers. Which, again, at the time, we were extremely happy with it. We knew that things could get a bit iffy if you'd really try to power game it. But, uh, you know... It was fine for our understanding. After that, there was the Van Sare book. That was the next one we got before just saying, we'll leave it till the complete one comes out. That looked fun. That looked interesting. It added in the pets, which, by the way, 
Games Workshop, where the fuck are they? <sighs> I, I really want my Vansir Spiders. But that, that introduced a whole bunch of new rules and some new scenarios we tried and played out. Which, once again, really cool. Actually, most of these scenarios were even cooler. Like, this is the one which brought in the Spook uh, collection mission. Yeah, Gas. Or yeah, Spook, that was yeah. it. Where you can get random psychic powers by trying to collect this stuff, and all sorts of things can go wrong, and it's cool, a lot of fun, um, but the balance is certainly off. And let's keep ahead from. We played it for a bit, but after that, we then had our <laughs> we had a slightly better game come out, basically a more balanced game, which has got a fucking concrete rulebook. Where, when we were saying stuff about things being worded poorly in the Necromunda rulebook, there was none of this. It was so carefully worded that when you actively tried to misinterpret it, you couldn't. And that was Titanicus. And Titanicus, I think, at the very least for me, shifted my opinion of Necromunda by comparison. Because when we came yeah. to playing it, it was a far more solid product. And I think at that stage it was on its second or third book. Because um, there was the original rulebook... There was another one, which was about knights, which had just come out. Oh, no, that was it. I think we got in just after the knights book had come out. We didn't even read much of that. It was mainly just like, no, because we most of the time we spent it with the core rulebook. And it was just fucking solid. And we had a great time with it. And there wasn't glaring issues of, oh, you took some of the wrong stuff and I just took some slightly different things and I'm going to completely fucking mollywomp you. It didn't really have that. And I think it became a psychological... So, when we would play Necromunda, yes, good fun, good times had. Yeah. However, because of the the blatant imbalance of it, and the, the, some things were completely broken. I mean, so I, I had loads of examples on my five sides of A4, uh, five pages, sorry, ten sides. Um, <laughs> so the, the the first example uh, that I'll give is that in a lot of scenarios. There is the attacker and the defender. I think in every scenario there's the... Yeah. Now, in some scenarios, the attacker is definitely favoured. So let's let's take ambush. Let's take this scenario ambush. Now, the attacker is very much favoured because you have something called the sentry mechanic. Uh, the sentries are the enemy's gang, randomly determined who they are, and random amounts of them. So you get to use the entirety of your gang, whereas they only get, uh, I think it's like D3, no, sorry, D6 plus 3 or something? Yeah. Something like that. They have as many gangers as anyway, and the rest of their gangers are reinforcements. Now, the idea is that the sentries, uh, you both roll a die. So you, each of you rolls a D6. The person that wins the roll-off gets to choose, uh, well, controls that ganger, for their activation, and the number on the other dice, uh, so the losing dice, die, is how far you can move that ganger. And this scenario is, first of all, we're already in a punishing state. We're already in a punishing state, because until you activate those sentries, that is how they move around the board. So if you just get unlucky, uh, your opponent can do one of two things. They can either be nice and move all of your play pieces away from the objective, so they just score the objective easy touchdown, or you can be 
I'm going to be careful how I say this because I did this myself. A good gamer. If you're just playing to win, if you're trying to play to do the best you can, and this is not in a mean way, just the true nature of the game being designed, you'll start, you know, moving them by themselves one by one to be slowly picked off. And in a campaign game of Necromunda, those guys may well die as a result. And it's just 40 minutes of bullshit with a defender. Yeah. And the critical point of this game mode the defender is already up against it now i've seen it go both ways i've seen the ambush go ridiculously one-sided for the attacker and ridiculously one-sided for the defender so in itself it's you know it's still iffy it's still iffy i'm not going to defend it but the thing that really absolutely sucks in this scenario and it's true for a lot of other scenarios you have things called tactics cards now, the tactics cards range from uh, place an extra ductway, which just basically means that your unit can move through a wall for all of their actions. Or it could be hack a door, so a door either opens or sh shuts um, during one of your fighter's activations. Or it can be everyone stands up, so any anyone's pinned is standing up. Or now, one of the yours, which is just negate all the damage of a shot. Yeah. Or you could have a Vansar one, uh, which, oh, Vansar, yeah. which is fire twice. Or, uh, I wasn't going to bring this one up, but I will uh, bring it up now. I can't remember the exact name of the card, but it's something along the lines of Pitfall, which is yeah. when an enemy fighter is activated, you flip this card out. This is a general, generic tactics card. Anyone so you have, have some it. which are house-specific and some which anyone can have. This is one anyone can have. When an opponent activates their fighter, flip this card. You you choose one so you can choose which ganger to do it on now that fighter needs to immediately take an initiative check and eshers if you have uh, an escher leader uh they have three plus initiative escher ganger they're four plus so kind of actually no i think it's two plus three plus even i think, I think the leader has two plus they're good at that shit they are agile if you take a goliath or a van Ser, Vansair mm -hmm. leaders have initiative 5 plus. They uh, might have 4 plus. Vansair are an expensive gang. So if you've got a leader that's tooled up, he could be like 200 points. He could be 20% of your total gang yeah. force. Someone flips this card, and there is a 66% chance that he just dies. Because it's not only that, it's. Now you compare that to placing an extra way which allows you to move through a wall for all your actions. Only Compare the power point. level. Only at a certain point you have to move to it and blah, blah, blah. It's worse than that, though, because it's not just whether or not this person dies. You put the... Because there's a, like, a hole, which is like a melter bomb hole. which is, like When a melter bomb goes off, it leaves this hole. And that is placed directly underneath them. And they make a check to see if they survive. But if there's anyone who's touching that hole, or maybe even within an inch, because Necron's rules can be pretty fucky when it comes to edges... They also have to make a roll to see if they fall in. And what's more is it stays there. So when yeah, the game starts, typically speaking, for a lot of missions, you get a lot of guys packed into a thin corridor. Or a couple of thin corridors. You could completely block in one, a bunch of one guy's force. Or maybe even take out a bunch of them at the start. Melt bomb goes off, potentially takes off one guy, potentially takes off any person around him, and definitely blocks off that corridor, which either blocks it off permanently... Well, when he activates those people, they have to try and jump across, making the same roll as what will save them. So, odds are, you oh. can fuck up someone's day 
to an unreasonable degree for nothing. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to note is that everyone within the, the blast radius doesn't immediately take that initiative check. It's only if they're shot at or they fall down or anything that they then... No, I think when it goes off, um, anyone is... It does. I did, check the, I did oh. check the wording. It's just the guy that it goes... But anyway, but a 66% chance to take out your enemy's lead. Now, leaders are really important in their commander. They are so pivotal, not just because they're normally a dude with good gear and good stats, but they actually keep your gang in the battle because morale is a big issue in Necromunda because these are just dudes. These are dudes fighting for gains and spoils, but is it worth dying over these things? And your leaders will keep them there. It's like, no, fight on, chaps, fight on. Uh, whereas if your leader's gone, they're much more likely to just go like, nah, fuck this, it's not worth it. Which can, you know, turn the battle. Mm. Uh, so the attacker in the scenario, the attacker in the ambush scenario, gets to pick two. He picks two tactics cards. So let's say I'm being massively a dick here. I take that one. I take Pitfall, or whatever it's called. Uh, I then take another card of Mondo Pan. Let's say I'm playing Vanser and I shoot twice. Uh, stratagem. So first turn, I instantly flip this turn, uh, flip this card on one of your leaders, your leader, sorry, or a champion or something. Let's say he dies. I then shoot at someone else. I do this strategy immediately. They die because they're getting hit twice by a melter gun or a plasma gun. Now, the defender has to pick two random cards. As if this scenario wasn't punishing enough, you don't even get to pick your tactics cards, which can be as powerful as just removing a dude. Yes, okay, there's there's random chance and there's, you know, 66% chance that you do it, but 66% chance for a freebie card? Hell yes. You don't need line of sight for anything. You can literally do it on the first turn of the game when they're on the other side of the board. Yeah, and you could just fuck up their day. So let's say you do this, and then you win the, the roll-off, you know, which character you move and how far you move them. You just put every guy next to this hole and then, <laughs> you know, you could do that. Yeah. You could do that. So, okay. So just the, the scenario of attacker, defender, sentries, unalerted. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's iffy. It's iffy. But does you even give the attacker the advantage tactics cards? It's like, come on now. Come on. This clearly wasn't playtested enough. Or they didn't have these future cards in mind because the Vansale will the fifth release, I believe. Sixth. So, um, I think well, six. first was that no, pair of them. Then it was like Orlock. Um, it's Cordor. And then Vansale. So they were fourth. Oh, sorry, no, it was Orlock, Cordor, Vansale, Delac. Delac. That was it. Um, so it was one of the later yeah, releases. Yeah. So, the, the balance in the scenario is already fucky. Now, when we played this, we did play an ambush scenario. Uh, you deployed all your Eshagas in a nice sentry, uh, you know, layout. Uh, there's a chance that they spot people in their forward arc because there are, are arcs in the game, so you forward, rear, side, and blah, blah, blah. You only see out your front arc. Unfortunately for you, you hadn't seen a blind spot, mm -hmm. and I deployed my dudes in that blind spot. And Goliath's very good at close combat. In this scenario, if you shoot, there's a chance that you set off the alarm. If you kill people, there is no chance you set off the alarm. And I'll be honest, I half dicked and then half was a nice guy in this scenario. 
So yes, I did abuse it. I did take out two Escher gals for free because we rolled for the, the checking of the character who controlled it. I won the roll off. I would just move a girl backwards <laughs> towards my dudes and then they would chop her down for a mind. Because the glass are very good at it, that. It's not really your fault for doing it. Because it's not like... I mean, that's that's the way to play it to win. Yeah, that's the way to play it to win. It's not like egregious levels of being that guy. It's just the rules are so poorly balanced that they've led to this this insane... Scenario. I mean... Yeah. I mean, it, it encourages... Well, it doesn't encourage... If it incentivizes you to play that way to win. And what I did is I did actually... by deliberately letting one of my guys seen. Because it... it to keep Alan there for another 25 minutes while I slowly just killed his gang and there's nothing that he can do about it. Mm. And this was in a campaign setting as well. So killing the gangers, taking them out of action, there is a, a one in six chance that they just die. Which is huge in a campaign. Like imagine you had to play games of 40k where at the end of the battle any unit that was lost, there's one sixth chance that they were dead and you had to play a 2000 point tournament for six games. Yeah. One in six. That you... How important is that at the end of the campaign? You know, it's huge. Uh, and even if you kill like a leader or something, it's like 200 credits. This is the underhive. We're all dirt poor in this area. Trying to get 200 credits together to get another leader, you know, it's, it's fucking pain. Anytime soon. I mean, I think to be honest, you do promote a champion for free. Hey, let's say you kill a champion. But like the war gear and so on is gone. No, you keep the ball gear. You do keep the ball gear. So it's that punishing. But anyway, they might have good skills. They might have leveled up several times. You know, this is an RPG character. You've leveled them up to level 30. They're feeling good. They're feeling fine. Yeah. And a Goliath has just chopped them in the back because you lost a roll-off. Like, it's literally, I roll a dice against you. And a post-die roll character just die. Because the odds are so good if you go behind you and just whack with an axe. <laughs> This bizarre balance also extends to just, like, the cost of weapons. On the mentioning of credits. Because the Vanseers, like, some of their starting gear, you can buy them a plasma gun, which costs, I think, 75 credits. Maybe 100. Or you can get a combi plasma gun and las gun for either 75 if a plasma gun costs 100, or 50 if the plasma gun costs 75. Which is insane, because... In this setting, like rare, rare weapons like plasma guns may run out of ammo and you can never use them again. So being able to have it with a combi, so you know you have a, a LAS weapon underneath in case you run out, fantastic, great backup. What the fuck? How the fuck did anyone test that and say, yes, we'll make the far, 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 far better weapon, far better weapon, cheaper? Hello? Hello, <laughs> I'm still here for the incense. Oh. Um, okay, so I have the rule book open in front of me because I've, I'm prepared for this because this is a personal grievance that I like to, to raise. So when we're talking about balance, we're talking about costs, we're talking about you know how to play the game without deliberately chopping your own fingers off. So may I guide you to the heavy flamer? Okay. The is a template weapon. Templates in the Underhive in Zone Mortalis are fucking great. They, they are, are so good. They are really brutal. Because, I mean, if you're just a, a naked person in a small corridor while someone's firing a flamer at you, really, what are your odds? 
they're not good. And I'm, I'm very grateful that they are dangerous, you know, because they should be. Someone setting you on fire is not a positive. It's not good for your health. It's a net loss. Uh, so the Headflamer uh, is a template weapon. Now, typically, all template weapons are super dangerous. Like, a basic Flamer is dangerous enough because it's strength 4. It automatically hits. Uh, I think it's, yeah, just one strength 4 hit. I don't think there's any AP modifier. Uh, but there's a 4-plus chance at the end of it all that it sets you on fire. Now, again, children, spoilers, being on fire in the Underhive is not good. Because, number one, you'll move erratically. Uh, and take two, you way burning. out of cover. Number two, you're burning. Uh, so there's a chance that you just take damage at the end of the turn, and you keep taking damage. And it's a 1 in 6 that you put the flames out. A 1 in 6. Otherwise, your character just keeps running around erratically because they're on fire. And finally... If it's in the dark, uh, you can be seen. Which, by the way, once again, showing off why we love Necromunda. It's so good. Because that bit's amazing, but continue. Like, okay, that, that in isolation, I love the fact that being on fire is, is a visibility thing. Number, yeah. number two, running around like crazy. Of course you would be. You're on fire. You're not like, I'm going to stay in cover while I burn. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my fucking God, I'm on fire. Um... It, it's awesome, and you can set other people on fire by running into them and that sort of stuff. You know, the rules are really great there, but I dislike it. So, heavy flamers. Flamers are good enough. Shotguns are good enough. Any template weapon is generally a bad idea if it's touching you, whether it's a toxin gas, you know, flamer, shotgun, whatever. Not good. Heavy flamer. Heavy flamer is 35 points. If you're a house goliath, 35 points more than a heavy bolter. Now, 35 points, what does that mean? 35 credits. points, 30, 35 credits, sorry. Yeah. Uh, is halfway to a gang member. And this is just the difference in between the weapons. And there's a rule in Necroma, you want to play better, it's boys before toys. You want more activations, more people. So half a ganger is significant. It really is. When you're playing in tiny... Uh, tiny environments where you've got maybe six or seven dudes, half a dude's points is massive. Like, it's not something you just, you know, flippantly, oh, whatever, spaff away. It's 35 points more. It is a template weapon. Doi. <laughs> just saying. It's strength five. Strength five versus the flamer's strength four. Now, this uses the wounding model of eighth edition. So if you have... Strength 5 versus Toughness 3, it's still a 3 plus to wound. If you have Strength 4 versus Toughness 3, it's a 3 plus to wound. Back in the old, old days when Necromunda first came out uh, and filtered into 4th, if you had Strength 5 versus Toughness 3, it would be a 2 plus to wound. So there's actually a merit in taking that extra strength. So the only scenario where you're benefiting from that Strength 5 is, number 1, late in the campaign, where people have leveled up when they've upgraded their Toughness, or number 2, you're versus Goliath because they're toughness four. That's the only two scenarios. So it's unlikely that it's really going to play into it. Heavy Bolter is strength five already. Heavy Bolter is considered the top gun of just universal use. It has a 36-inch range, strength five, AP minus one, multiple damage, multiple shots, extremely dangerous. Because it's heavy bolter versus just like naked people running around, basically. The heavy flamer is a template, strength five. So already we've got a range issue. 
the heavy bolt is just better already. It's the same strength. It's cheaper. It's multiple instances of being hit, not And heavy flamer, same as the heavy bolter, has a little rule unwieldy, which means you cannot move and fire this weapon. Bit of a problem with a close-range weapon. This gun, on its own, is the same as three naked Goliath gangers. Three. And you can't fucking move and shoot with it. You need to give your guy... uh, You need to buy him servos, which are like, think uh, Elysium, uh, where they literally just give you like a robo exoskeleton. How how much do they cost, Henry? I mean, number one, you have to get it from the the black market or the side shop, so you can't even equip your ganger from the start with it. He has to unlock it if you roll high enough at the end of battle sequences. So it's very unlikely you get it. And it's they're like 60 credits or they something are. more. So yeah, I remember a, them costing 60 credits. It's another Goliath ganger. So at this point, you've got four gangers sank into this. Five, including the user of the weapon. So you've got five gangers to make a strength five flamer work. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Number one, why is it more points than a heavy bolter? Who? Who? Like, this This doesn't even come into balance, into common sense. Like, what? And then second of all, you give it a weird... Like, template weapons are decent as is. You make extremely expensive, more expensive than one of the meta weapons. Uh, people will argue with that. I know, whatever. Just accept it. I like heavy bolters. It's more expensive than Heavy Bolter. It does a worse job than it. You have to get close, but you can't move and shoot. See? And also, you can't... Um, I, I think Unwieldy is it's a double action to shoot it or something like that. Crazy. So you stand up and shoot it or... You know, so if you're pinned, you can't stand up. I don't know. I can't remember it at this point. But anyway. If only you had some notes. If I had some notes. But... I just, I can't believe it. And it comes back to that ambush thing, that ambush scenario, where the attacker gets to choose their cards, the defender doesn't. It's just, it's little details of balance. It's little, like, I feel like Necromunda is so much content. There is so much good stuff, but they didn't have time, enough number one, playtest it, and number two, thoroughly just go through the design. Part of it, I think, is that they fucking copped out and went for the, um, ooh, you really need to have a third player who's the adjudicator, in the style of Dungeons & Dragons having a GM, that kind of thing. Which I think they shouldn't have done. Um, They shouldn't have left a bunch of the rules down to the opinion of a third party, because just at the the very basic side of things, I mean, if you are okay, say you and I want to play a game of Necromunda, and we have to go find this third person and say, "Oh, we need you to be our adjudicator." Well, what does that entail? You manage some stuff between games and occasionally help us out with a decision while playing. They have to invest a fairly large amount of time and sit around doing fuck all while we play our game. Like it's kind of bullshit to demand that of somebody. Because in something like Dungeons & Dragons or other similar pen and paper RPGs, the DM is constantly doing something and interacting with people, and it is like, you know, a communal effort, rather than, 
yeah, sit there and now and again when we have like, I don't know, a rules query or when something's blatantly broken or when we need help deciding this or when when the scenario is blatantly fucked and it just flat out says, yeah, this is flawed, but if you get an adjudicator, maybe they can like iron it out a little bit. That fucks me right off. Because it's wasting a third person's time and it means they didn't have to give a fuck. And it's such a dangerous thing to actually get someone that's a good arbitrator. Yeah. Because if I was the arbitrator, I love, I just love fun, crazy, dumb stuff. So already my style as the arbitrator is I will reward dumb, heroic play. That's just going to be my style because that's why I like to see. I like to see crazy stuff like, you know what, fuck it. I've got a small hatchet and there's a big ass monster down that corridor. I'm just going to run at it. But they haven't made a pen and paper RPG. What they've made is a miniature war game. They've made a skirmish game. There's a fuck ton of them about the place and a fuck ton of them that do balance well and better than this. And rather than trying, they just go, get one of your mates to do it for us. And the, I think the danger as well is that, you know, a lot of the, the cool, like, I do think the arbitrator is not just a balancing element. It does enhance the game. Oh, yeah. Because no, there's, there's a lot of things where an arbitrator would make it better. But, but oh, oh, sorry, carry on, Karen. I was just going to say, the difficulty with the arbitrator balancing it and, okay, so let's let's take the enforcers. So the enforcers are Helmore's personal troops. They're... they're influence in the hive they're basically the cops they're the bad guys uh, sorry <laughs> the good guys <laughs> anarchists you know <laughs> speaking entirely uh not reflecting my personal position so they're the good guys the good guys sorry we'll just edit that out as an impost yeah, um fine. so they're the good guys now there's a few stories in the books it's an idea as an arbitrator and it's something that to do at some point during a game which is you have two gangs going at it they're fighting over some objective they're fighting over the loot and oh tits the fuzz shows up like there's there's like a cool rules for like two gangs where you're kind of it's like a a heated um you know uh meeting between the gangs of kind of we don't want violence but what are you going to compromise type thing uh where everyone's sort of itching their their trigger fingers um, and the popo show up, so it's just absolute chaos. It's like fuck it, let's shoot each other, let's shoot the police, let's get as much loot as we can and get the fuck out of here. And it'd be hella fun to do. Or let's just say like one player is running away with the game, one player is just absolutely rinsing the other dude, and you're like, okay, I'm going to help the other dude. I'm going to help him by bringing in the police. Now, as say you do this, let's say it's going all funky and cool and it's a really cool and you actually end up wiping out the player that was winning and the guy that was losing wins the game because you've shown up to do this again cool narrative cool fun story uh if you know the people well i'm sure you can do this but imagine this is like a pickup game in the shop that dude's gonna be pissed now let's say it's a campaign and you've actually killed a few of his gangers like long stand like that's a big issue that i have like if you have two gangs that kill each other and their members you know succumb to the injuries that's fine you know that's just necromunda that's part of the game i think that's fun there's consequences good 
But if you've got like immortal NPC characters turn up who have no consequences attached to them, and they just kill your investment, you know, it, it's just going to demoralize people, and it's going to be really difficult to not be like, oh well, the GM just punished me for doing well. Yeah. And it's again with the campaigns as well. The more that the campaigns run in Necromata, so since since the initial rulebook, we've had um, Gangs of the Underhive and the rulebook come out, and they contain the rules for a Dominion campaign. There's another few campaigns which come out in supplementary uh, materials, and you know they're all fun. They they all have. Uh, I consider there to be only three campaigns because the initial rulebook campaign, I, it's it's not a campaign. It's not it, a real it's system. It's five sequential missions. Yeah, and it goes a bit beyond that, and it does a little bit gang development, but you know, it doesn't count. It doesn't yeah. count. So there's only three campaigns, um, and the more that a gang runs away with the campaign, the harder and harder it is for everyone else, unless you get lucky. So it's this gang that is running away, and their gang is all times the value of your guys because they've all got bionic eyes and they've got you know hardened flat carapaces and carrying bolt guns, and they're really tooled up to the nines. Um, and then you kill one of these high-value guys. Like they, they can still bring new people in to just use all the equipment, but they might lose the skills and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, the more that the games win, the more the odds are that they keep on winning. And even if they lose people, they've got so much money from winning that they can, they can buy the better gear. Whereas if you're the schleb that's just being pushed down and down and down, you know, your guys are dead. Like the campaign we did with Escher versus Goliath. It ended up that I only had four guys on my roster who were healthy. After the next game, I ended up with three guys on my roster that were healthy versus your, like, nine? I had a lot. I think we had to house rule it because, uh, typically speaking, in Necromunda, you know, if you lose a dude, uh, you're not going to have them for the next mission, etc., and you have to buy new ones. Didn't we bring in something where it's like, okay, we'll let you have like a minimum amount free, but they don't gain any XP or anything afterwards? That um, might be a rule in the old. Can't I, think, I think we had to add it in specifically because it got to such bullshit. <laughs> just because I was losing so yeah. many games. It's like, okay. <laughs> but you're trying to play like sequential games, and he turns up to like, you know, the big final fight, and he's got three, five guys. It's like, this isn't. Are, there, there's like one of the missions which is meant to be like an assault on. Stronghold, and it was like my three dudes turn up. <laughs> you turned like, up, opened the door, and left. Yeah, I was like, "Fuck this!" <laughs> but also, like, when you get to that scenario where you got three dudes versus nine, the odds of your dudes actually dying goes up way higher than if it's nine versus nine. So, as soon as you start um, losing some people, the odds of you losing the rest of your guys just goes up so much higher, and you're then forever down, and you can't get back up. Because yeah. when you go into missions with five versus, say, 12 people, how are you expecting to win? So you're going to be earning less money, and the other person's earning more money. And it's just this endless loop of you're getting pushed and down and down. The pro strategy for doing well in Dominion campaigns is to actually voluntarily bottle out of every game for the first 10 games. <laughs> Which means and running away. That's the strategy. And then what you do is you use your... Use your leaders, which are all healthy, because you just keep running away, whereas other people might get injured champions, they might get injured leaders. Uh, you use your champions, your leaders, to collect income. And those t first ten battles, whatever, you just farm. You're just farming away. While everyone else is playing the game, getting injured, getting mucky, getting bruised, 
you're not really getting penalised for just farming no. credits. Could, can I ask you a question? Do you think that it's a problem with maybe the way the game is designed if the best way to play is not to play it? Uh, you know, <laughs> I think the game has a lot of weird loopholes like this. Yeah, It has a lot of weird stuff where it doesn't quite line up. So let's take the Overseer skill. Overseer is a skill that your champions or leader can take, uh, where basically they forego their actions to allow another character to have an action. They, they have another two actions. So that, that means four actions on one character. And this could either be a death charge, where you use two actions to just run forward, and then you use your next two uh, to charge. Or you can do stuff where you have a heavy bolter guy, and you just have him fire twice in a row. Mm -hmm. And the power level of firing twice with a heavy bolter, if you can get away, is massive. Or you're playing as Vanser, you fire twice with a melter gun. And you can do that every turn. You do that every turn. And it's kind of janky, kind of weird. Like, let's say you're playing um, Goliath, and you use Overseer to throw a guy with a wrench right into the enemy's face. And a wrench isn't that deadly. Maybe he takes out a ganger, and then he dies. Like, it's not... It's kind of like a suicide mission. Whereas, if you use the Heavy Bolter, it's just, it's just free money. Because you take a champion that's very, very cheap, he's just got like two pistols and a knife, uh, and then you just have a heavy bolt that's getting ridiculous value. You know, so Necromunda really has to be a gentleman's game. And again, I've read a lot of the Reddit posts. It's really interesting to read about Necromunda and all the kind of broken stuff that people see but don't exploit, other than some, and we'll come to that in just a second. Um... Is forfeiting your first 10 games. Yeah. Like, we play games to play games. It's a weird concept. <laughs> one, we're, one we've been working on for a while now. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I was saying it's a weird concept, but it's been something we've been working on for a while now. Yeah, it, it's just... <laughs> It's so important to have fun. And I think Necromunda is so good. I do think it is incredibly awesome. Uh, I think it is rock and roll, metal as hell. The rules are fantastic, but also you've got to be self-limiting. Like, okay, could you in good conscience recommend this game to some people who are trying to get into like skirmish games? Okay, <laughs> this is something we were talking about in our Discord, Marvelous Discord, link in the description if you want to join it to have a chat with us. We're always in there. Come on. Um, come on in. We're friendly. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and this is something we were loosely discussing. It's kind of, because Necromunda is so janky, it's a really difficult thing to recommend to someone. So, like, if I was recommending myself, I, if I had a character that was just like me, I know what I like. I know what, you know, I enjoyed 4th edition. I really like the, the grim dark. I really enjoy the kind of cold, cruel environment of Necromunda. And you're capable of playing it in a different way than it encourages you to. Yeah. I, I would heartily recommend this to someone like that. However, if it's someone that is just 
hey, I enjoy hobbying. I like the aesthetic of Necromunda. Uh, is this a good game to get into? With all good conscience, you can't recommend the game. And that's a difficult thing because it depends so heavily on your players. It depends on so heavily who you're playing against, what the local meta is, if other people even play the game. Yeah, but this is a problem I think with us. Like, it, it spirals out of control. Like With a recommendation, you could maybe recommend it to two people. Recommending it to three or four, like oh, as one group, it gets so much harder. Like We've played it a lot. Nobody else in our group has really played it at this stage. And it, it's a tough sell at times because of stuff like this. I think it, it's really interesting because I think we've come to two different camps. Like, I think the brokenness of Necromunda... We both see the, the brokenness of Necromunda. Yeah. And I think my takeaway is that I still have a lot of love for I still want to play the game forever and a day. Um, and I'm even trying to get one of our friends into the that's how much i still love it yeah whereas i think you've come away with a slightly you know more critical I, yeah view i, I of the have balance. more of a bitter taste about it don't worry it, it's still it's still the one that got away it, it's still you know that long lost love essentially <laughs> but uh, it just it's so fucking flawed like it, it's it's scarily at the stage where i'd want to try and rewrite a lot of it yeah, and there's already a community edition of the which both shows the fanaticism and loyalty and love of fan base, but also the fact that the community had to write a rook. Yeah. You know, so you have to take it with a pinch of salt. I want to talk about some of the newer uh, releases of Necromunda. Do you and mean uh, the, uh, um, that the one Dark that Uprising. just came out? <laughs> What's it called? Yeah. Dark Uprising. <laughs> I, th I thought it was called Dark Uprising. I was like, no, that, that must have been... That can't be it. Yeah. <laughs> it must be Flower Power. Yeah, Flower Power Boogaloo. Flower Power Boogaloo. Um, so we'll, we'll lead up to that. We'll get to that. We'll just go through the history of Necromunda Super. So each of the gang war books, so they released a gang war book with each gang that came out. And they've also released a rules compendium and a gang compendium. Oh, those compendiums, though, they don't contain all the stuff from the other books, though, do they? They do not contain the rules for Bad Zone Delta 7, which is the alternate tiles you can buy, and I have bought because I love them, where you get all these sorts of hacks in the game. That's not in the compendium. That is only in well, the Gang War 2. that are missing. And it's not that they have a refined version of the mission, it's just that they're missing. It's like, this is not a fucking compendium, Games Workshop. <laughs> this, this is not a complete uh, the net commander and, team. This is Games Workshop. <laughs> Don't call a compendium if it's not got everything in it. And another thing which is maddening, which the whole player base for Necromunda can sympathize with, is that between between compendiums, between FAQs, between dwarf releases, between all this different stuff, the rules change. Uh, and it is so... like It's kind of like one of those you know ancient alien labyrinths that is constantly changing. And its geometry is impossible to understand, but there's a map, and someone owns the map to it, and they can understand this impossible alien geometry. Oh, no, no. Everyone has a piece of this map, <laughs> but the map is contradictory, and you keep finding new pieces of it. Yeah, basically. And 
like just the inconsistency of the rules is something that's really different. I mean, because points change from you know gang war to compendium, and the compendium is meant to be the official, like the complete figures, like the, the, the complete thing, but also the the readdressed figures and the readdressed rules. Yeah. But then they change the rules between the compendium and Dark Uprising because Dark Uprising has got you know a rule set in it. And just small, small, tiny stuff changes, you know. And there's even things like rending and slicing. Is it slicing? I can't remember. It's, it's like a special rule. It's not in the, in the base game, but it's in Dark Uprising. And it's kind of like this. They, they keep evolving the rules. And I love it. And it, it, well, I love it because I think it says to me that they've enthusiasm. And it's kind of like a, a you know, chasing a ball mm. it's kind of like oh actually this would be cool oh wait that'll be cool yeah let's do this and oh yeah yeah that's a, that's a really good idea and... ideas as to what will be cool like they can rely yeah, on keep coming up with cool stuff which is great but it's just they're changing it all the time yeah and it creates this wake of kind of chaos and confusion and like you see it all the time in the reddit because you know sort of a rules query and then someone says it's this and then to them and says actually no it's this because the FAQ and then someone replies with actually but in the wording of the rule book never mind the FAQ it says this and this and it's just it gets a real boggy mess because some stuff has ridiculous wording as well there's a, a kind of an infamous post from the, the Dark Uprising campaign uh, where it tells you how to run the campaign and there are seven steps and it is nearly incomprehensible to decipher what these seven steps are because it's like Draw a card to determine a territory. Now shuffle that territory into the deck of territories, which have also been drawn, uh, but not from the main deck, from the side deck. The side deck you will have taken from, but and then it changes like the word territory and deck over midway, <laughs> and then it's like draw a territory, um, and uh, oh, it's crazy. And it someone rewrote it. it. Someone of, rewrote um, it. A game ages back, and I don't know which one it was, but a game ages back, they were testing it. And it's meant to be like a sort of World of Warcraft style game. You're looking down your character and you click about and move them about the place. And somebody while testing it was like, oh, how do I how do I access my uh, my inventory? And one of the developers just goes, oh, you just click on your character three times. <laughs> what? <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff in Necromunda's like, rules which are so poorly written. It's like, well, the people who wrote it down, they obviously know what it means. But they've never thought to try and make it clear to other people or try and make it make sense to other people. And because they try and make it so complicated, they end up just making it far worse. Completely confusing. And someone actually rewrote it into six steps that completely makes sense. Yeah. So there's, there's no actual issue with the seven steps they wrote. It's just the way that they have written it, which just it makes it such a mess. And like there's all these like toxin. It took us months and months and months, if not a year, to find out how they officially wanted toxin to work, <laughs> yeah. and they made it work the wrong way. They made it completely useless, and to which point both Alan and conned it and just said, no, it works the way that we think it should work, and therefore it's actually good. Yeah, they, they genuinely made it worthless. Can, can we just get, like, a couple of the dudes from the Titanicus team go around and, like, clout them a couple of times? I mean, to be fair, Titanicus is working with a lot less variables. It is, but at the same time, it's not a, it, it is working with less variables, but so much of it is so like ironclad worded it's almost as if they've gotten a lawyer to look over it and go no no there's a slight 
issue with the uh, the way you've worded that. Word it exactly like this to make sure there's no wiggle room. Because god damn it, that game is tightly written. I mean, Titanicus is just the gold standard. I have, I, I, I can't even think of a complaint off the top of my head. I mean, the only thing that you could say about it is that the release of models has been very slow. So it has, but yeah. You still got that, enough to go. You still got a complaint about the game in of itself, though. That's not a complaint about the rules of the game. Oh yeah, it's just the whole I mean, thing, sadly. If it was a one and done game, it's it's just perfect. Mm. But it's only because they've said more stuff is coming that we're like, come on, give it to us. <laughs> give, it, give us the Nemesis Warbringer and Epic. <laughs> go on, just do it. So now, Commander, and then you also get tactics cards, which each with each of the gang was and released with the gangs as they came out. So the Orlocks would come out, the Orlock tactic cards come out. Now, this is a big problem because as we mentioned, the tactics cards range from it's just a bit of card on the table that actually doesn't affect the game yeah. or it's holy tits, this is going to be good. Maybe win the game turn one. Immediately. Yeah. like You know, it, it sounds exactly kind of whiny but it's true it, it really, really can just fuck the game up so like, easily it's depending on who you're against and depending on what the card imagine is imagine playing a game of 40k 2000 points game where it's you could have access to a stratagem that literally costs you nothing does not cost you command points or anything uh, which is one use only and it's a let's say it's in the worst case scenario 33% chance of like taking out 20% of your opponent's points and that's also important points. These are key units of points. You would take it every single fucking time and use it every single fucking time. That's only much 33%. When it comes to stuff like it's, you know, against Vanser or Goliath, where it's, you know, all of a sudden 66% chance, you're definitely taking it. Oh, God. Well, you take it anyway, but fuck, it's ridiculous. I mean, as well, because you get lasting injuries, you can have people that get negative in initiative. So you could have a Vanseer leader that's saving himself on a 6+. plus, Yeah. Or even a Neshagal that's having to save herself on a 5+. plus, You know. Um, so anyway, but, but the text cards... Okay, so they're, they're massively important to the value of your gang, to the you know efficiency that you can get. And yes, there are a lot of good general tactics cards, you know, such as Click, where you just make someone run out of ammunition. Fantastic. I really like Click as well, because that, that's a less bullshitty but powerful one. Just to clue everyone in, it's a card that after an enemy fighter shot with a weapon, you then reveal this they are out of ammunition. And number one, it has counters, so they can use a card themselves to reload. Uh, there are munitioners, which can replenish their ammo and all that sort of stuff. Oh no, sorry, munitioners couldn't do it. But, you know, you can play the card or you go to a loot chair. And they actually yeah. get to fire. And they actually get to fire, which is the like... The start of their activation, just break their gun. Yeah, like a heavy bolt 160 points, you don't get Ta-da, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Which I really like. You know, compare that to just, you died. You died in your activation. You didn't get to do anything with your dude because he fell in a hole that we planned. <laughs> does, uh, what's the, okay. how, how does click work with combi weapons? Uh, I, I can't remember because <laughs> you would have to be... explain it. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think it would just be one side. I would, uh, well, that's how we'd play would it. The, we'd have to check an FAQ. Because they, they may just have FAQ'd it to work on both parts, which almost wouldn't surprise me. 
But anyway, but yeah. the point of the Texas cards discussion is that they are now out of production. They are not printing the Texas cards. So if you, on release, follow the gang, you're like, yes, I'm excited, I want Goliath, I want the Texas cards, excellent. I've got the Texas cards for Goliath. Uh, I'm very happy about that. You've got the Texas cards there. Very powerful, very good. If we did get one of our friends into the hobby, they would get a gang, and they could not get their cards unless you want to buy them for like fifty dollars plus twenty five dollar import tax from America, because that's the only place you can get them. Apparently, trust me, I've checked. You just you can't get them; they're out of production. And a lot of the Necromunda stuff, it's actually really good to get your hands on it. The Bad Zone Delta uh, tiles, which is own Mortalis, you can't get them now. You can only buy them secondhand from eBay. And okay. While it's a whole, you know, yes, I didn't expect them to support Necromunda forever and ever, always printing new cards. It is kind of a shitty, it's one and done, it's gone. You don't get that opportunity again. Yeah. Uh, which is just, it's just a sucky thing and it's difficult for, for newer players. And also just the, the power level of the tactics cards, it's really difficult to, you know, get someone into the hobby and then... You know, actually, you're playing at a, a disadvantage. So, therefore, do we just ban tactics cards? You, you don't have tactics cards, but seeing as I bought mine, I have the ability to fire a plasma gun at you, which may hit you up to three times. If I if I use this, it can hit you up to nine times uh, with one shot. And that reminds me of one of my notes. <laughs> I did remember this one. So, okay, let's say we get rid of tactics. Let's balance. It's not very fun. I don't like the way that you can make my lead all in a hole. I don't appreciate that. Hmm. Let's ban them. Now let's take a little gander, shall we? At Cordor. The overlooked gang by so many people. The red-headed stepchild. Like the, to be fair, the red-headed stepchild. they look like they're the red-headed stepchild. They do, and they're smelly, and they're emaciated, and they're strange, and, they're really, and it's kind of crazy. But they're good boys. Um, let's look at Cordor versus Escher. Okay, so we've we've eliminated tactics cards. Tactics cards are gone because we can't get hold of them. Yep. You and I are joining the hobby. I'm getting Escher. You're getting Cordor. Our gangers are the same points cost. Okay. Yeah, this sounds good to me. Mine, mine move further. Okay. My initiative is better. Mm-hmm. But across the board, we're most of the same. So I, I have you know maybe maybe a slight advantage. That's that's okay though. Don't worry. We're still in the same ballpark. You mm. pay more if you want to have las guns than me. Okay. Or you can have cheaper shitter las guns, which you know you still you still get some mileage out of, but they're just they're less reliable and they're just they're not quite the same range and all that sort of stuff. I I can't remember if it's range. Don't don't quote me on that. But you know they're not quite as reliable. They're not quite. Don't move as far as me. But that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. So. My gangers are cheaper, if you want to load them out the same, and better than yours. Okay. That's just it. <laughs> that is all there is to it. <laughs> and, okay, there's there's different skills for the champions. I get that. There's different tables that you roll on. So Azure have agility and ferocity, I think. Oh, no, they have shooting or something, and Cordor have ferocity and shooting. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But the tactics cards, let's let's throw in the tactics cards. Cordor have a tactics card which makes all 
of their weapons flaming, including las guns. So you can set the world on fire with this tactics card. It's pretty good. And bearing in mind, it's a four plus to set someone on fire, and they just and it's a one in six that they put out. The power of that card is so good. I mean, the Escher cards are okay. They're definitely not the strongest tactics cards. Definitely not. Whereas Kordos tactics cards take them from being a shitter Escher to, good God, this is horrific if it goes off. And there's also like other cool like religious cards they've got for them, and they can boost the strength of their their champions build with religious spirit. Cool shit, okay? Yeah. But if you don't have the Texas cards, if you're not playing Texas cards, they're just the worst Escher. Because you you do start off with different loadouts, but there's a thing called the outpost, which pretty much everyone has access to, which sells most weapons. So. Gangs can very quickly lose their identity if they don't have access to these cards. And you can get access to weapons and everyone plays the same cost. Yeah. So if I have cheaper gangers than you, uh, well, no, we, this same cost gangers, but mine are better. Mine are just better baseline than yours. And we can have access to all the same gear. I'm just going to beat you. I will just beat you. Odds are. In a, odds, odds, yeah. Which is just... Again, it's like another like balance question. Like, why why done it this way? You know, it's it's very strange. So, you then have that duality of you're reliant on the tactics cards to a degree, depending on the game that you play. But also, there's the massive imbalance in the power of the tactics cards themselves. So, it's super iffy. And then we get down to the it's a gentleman's game again. It's just a okay. We need to configure this balance between us, and that's why it becomes that issue of uh you know psychology between titanicus and necromunda because necromunda you see it you you see the beauty within it is a genie's there's got a it's just covered in shit it is <laughs> someone dropped this while walking their cow and they trod it into the poo <laughs> but underneath it's a genie's lamp and you can see just the tiniest shimmer of the reflective gold surface can, can I, can and I you know if slightly? you it's an incredibly okay. valuable gem, albeit it's huge and most of it's cracked and awful. But maybe if you chisel away at it carefully enough, you could carve out a beautiful little gem from the center. Maybe. Or you'll completely fuck it. And you have to do this every single time you play. Yeah, and that's the difficulty. Because, you know, we never really had that much time to play. Necromunda does take a long time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is bizarre considering it's small gang warfare. Like comparing its game time to Warcry, Warcry is like ten percent. I don't know. We we just rattled through Warcry. Yeah. We could get like six games in an evening, no problem of Warcry. You could even get maybe six games in an hour with Warcry. Like that's how crazy fast some of the games are. And I'm not saying that's you know the best thing. I do like the game length under, but when it's a bad game, when you've got an hour long bad game. It just and, and you you know this is your free time. You this is you outside of work. You come home from work. It's a long day. Do you play Titanicus or do you play Necromunda? And Necromunda is that gamble of it's going to be hella fun if it goes off. Whereas Necromunda is just it's hella fun. You mean Titanicus? Titanicus. Yeah, it's just it's hella also, fun. It's just reliable. When it's we there. play Titanicus, we can turn up and go. Shall we do a silly game or a serious game? In a silly game, you just go All right. One person has a bunch more points and a bunch more stratums or whatever. 
if you say a serious game, it's like, all right, we've got similar points. Let's fucking play to win, and we'll have fun doing it. Rather than Necromunda, which is, I'm going to play to win. Well, who's going to get that melter bomb stratagem then? <laughs> also kind of really enjoyed the smuttiness of, of Necromunda. Just, I really enjoyed the grubby desperation. And in that campaign we played where I was Goliath versus Yoasha, I really loved being a bit scummy and a bit devious mm. to even up the odds. Like, if you remember, there was that map we played where they, I put an elevator shaft in the middle. You did. It was something in ambush, something like that. So Alan had to deploy all his models in the center around this shaft, which just broke up lines of sight. It broke up um, avenues of actually, like, walking around the map because there's, like, gaps which you would have to either jump over, which is kind of risky, or you're standing on the edge, and it takes a movement, you know, instead of shooting... Um, so it was devious. It was devious of me to do this. And then I just kind of hid my guys around the corner, and then we played like this really cool, desperate, um, fragging, close quarters gunfight with a little bit of close uh, combat. A lot of people uh, falling off ledges, I'll tell you that. Which, and the most beautiful part is that you brought a melter bomb, <laughs> and it ended up getting set off in the hands of the person holding it, it which did. blew two gals into a pit. It and did. It was such a fucking good game. And like, yeah, okay, I was being a scummy little bastard. I seem to remember she got knocked over the edge. And held on or something. But then the other two, because then the melt bomb goes off and sent them flying (laughs) over. (laughs) Yeah, my leader also fell down the hole. He did. He just fell in the hole. He was just like, whoops. Didn't his friends also fall in the hole after him? Yeah. He may have fallen down the hole first, then your leader fell down the same hole. Yeah, me and me and Holes, not a good combo. Yeah. Four plus to just lose a dude. <laughs> He'll <laughs> do it Hulse. every time. I'll do it. I'll don't make me roll it. I'll do it. I'll At the same fall. time, if if I had gone into it also with the I'm gonna be devious to try and win attitude, it would have just been a bullshit. Yeah. But then but that, that's because we're playing as gentlemen. Yeah. Uh and like that scenario where I could just not set the alarm off and just take out your entire gang by just making it slow and painful and going around the map carefully. Yeah, because you know, I, I didn't... the main objective. You could spend the entire time yeah. slowly killing yeah. everyone. And you and have this... to stand there as an opponent for like 40 minutes, 50 <laughs> minutes as this happens, where you're not really playing a game. You're just hoping you roll higher than your opponent and maybe things work out. Maybe. Yeah. As you lose things constantly. Oh. Cracker shit. But, you know, in that desperate campaign, I had so much fun. I really did. Even though I was completely losing and my guys were just like going down like crazy. They were dropping like flies. Uh, it was still awesome. And yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, so, okay, so Tactic Cars, they've been and gone. A lot is out of production. Very sad times. You know, we are not in the prime of Necromunda, I don't feel. And this is something that we had at the start as well, because at the start, both of us, you know, we felt there's more content coming, there's more good stuff to come. The real peak of Necromunda is yet to come. Yeah. And it kind of, because of the way that the the releases came out, it kind of like fizzled along, like I was still interested, I was still invested, but we never really got to a peak, and then the rulebook comes out, the gang war, and uh, the rulebook and Gangs of the Underhive, and I'm super jazzed for it. And then you read through it, and it's like there's all these mistakes. The wording isn't very good. It's the points stuff. costs are janky. It's... 
yeah, it was kind of weird. So it's like, you know, it's your birthday, you get a birthday cake, but someone's pressed their ass against it. It's like, I appreciate and you can see this. see those ass prints. And you, oh, yeah, they're in there. Like, you can see the ass prints and the sack of Reboot Gullibon, like, you know, just placed there. <laughs> just like, winking there's no at doubting you. There's no doubting this is ass prints. And everyone is telling you, oh, it's fine, it's okay. And no, people aren't telling you it's fine, it's okay. They're, there's just a, a kind of a strange release of the cake. It's kind of like shoved out in front of you, kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, there it is. Ooh, birthday cake. Oh. <laughs> and all the, all the gang wall books are just small cupcakes that Reboot Gilliman has pressed one ball into. <laughs> so you've got like, all these like ball <laughs> cupcakes. I think that's how he like, seals his envelopes. <laughs> just you know, pours the wax, presses testicle against it. <laughs> that's what he's doing. He's done nothing since coming. Anyway, you know, it's not about that. It's not about that today. <laughs> not in the Christmas podcast. today. Um, okay, so then we get to Dark Uprising. Dark Uprising. Dark Uprising brings in the 3D terrain, which I'm, I'm like split on because the terrain itself is fucking awesome. However, I look at it and I think that's a fucking, that is such a chore compared to Zone Mortalis. It's just a board. You just get a board out. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're super duper lazy, but when you've got to get minis ready for like six different gaming systems. And you've got to do the train. You're kind of like, just I can't be bothered. I think part of the issue is with us, at least. Terrain, we, I think we both have the same problem in that terrain is like a huge responsibility, which we feel the weight of. So whenever we play a game or something, it's always like, I don't want to like set up the terrain shitly to ruin one person's game, or I don't want to set it up unfairly. Yeah. Like you, both of us feel that weight, which is why we like stuff like uh, War Cries. Here's a card. It's how you set the terrain. We're like, yeah, fuck it. If it's unfair, that is just the scenario. It's not as a result of I set things up unfairly and ruined his game. Or in the case of Necromunda, again, it's similar. Like, okay, it's random-ish how it's all worked out, but you have to deal with it. Whereas once it's like, okay, you have 3D terrain, and work it out yourselves, make it look cool. It's like, mm. I I actually really like the Necromunda Zone Mortalis setting up. Yeah, um, it's chiefly because as well. It, it's so fucking tactical, but also I really love it because it's it's a mini competitive game. Because you're considering the strengths and the weaknesses of you and your neighbor, uh, sorry, your your opponent, not your neighbor. He's <laughs> bad at text returns. I do Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, but fuck you, Jonathan. Just like I'll get him one day. <laughs> get him. Join the Discord. Um, <laughs> and. Yeah, because it's like a mini competitive game, and it's really fun doing that setup, and it's really tactical. Uh, and I, I've, you know, maybe just we're boring people. Maybe we're boring people, but I really love those moments where either one of us would flip a board and then like place it in a certain way, and the other one would look at you and be like, "That's fucking genius! <laughs> like, that is sick board placement, and you fucked me." with where you've put that board. It happens. And that that's like such a cool thing. Whereas like when you've got the 3D terrain, it's a bit like, cause it's not only line of sight blocking on the ground floor. It's not about charge angles on the ground floor. It's not about doors on the ground floor. You also have the verticality. Mm. And if you put too much verticality, you know, you're just going to shaft your own, like depending on which way it goes. So if you're Vansar, then say you want to be far away, you want to be shooting, you want to be raining hot magma death on people. If you're Goliath, if you're Corpse Grinder Cults, wink, wink, we're getting to it. 
you want to get in and you want to be choppy. You do not want any verticality. You want line of sight and low and slow. <laughs> I just wanted to say the slow. You want just low and slow felt fun. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm not, and that's the thing. I'm not even entirely, because the train is fucking awesome. It is. It it's is really well designed. I love the fact that the stairs actually slot the bases into it because that's one of my biggest gripes with steps uh, is when you can't put models on the steps. Like, they have to finish either at the bottom or at the top. Yeah. And then if they don't, you have to, like, have them off the board and say, okay, actually, here, you know, there's, like, a penny, like, resting on the stairs. Yeah, like, that's my dude. The stairs of showing how high they would be on them if they were on the stairs. Stuff like that. Yeah, so just having them slide into the base is so neat. It's so tiny. And the train is really well designed. Uh, it's fantastic. You know, this is the thing with ne Necromunda. You can tell that everything is a labor of love. Yes, it's candid. But the whole general idea is that it's a labor of love. Um, so, yeah. Get that. It, it comes with a uh, paper mat, which I'm not keen on. It is nowhere near as nice as the zone mod boards. Yeah. It looks kind of rubbish because you've got all the like fold lines on it where it's creased and it doesn't lie flat. You've got to like iron it flat, which anyone that plays, you know, when these massive like space sim games where you get the PVC mats, yes, you have to iron them as well. It's just it doesn't look good. They're selling you plastic trays. And again, fantastic. They look good. They're durable excellent it's just it's more work again and it, you know i'm sure if you really went into it and you did all the train and all the boards and you put in maximum effort you could get such a fantastic board that would be awesome to play on and awesome to look at but i just think zone mortalis does enough like i'm happy with zone mortalis but can I, I don't need the next level. I'm going to use this to bring up one of my bugbears, which has been rearing its head more and more. It's, an, it's more of a suspicion than anything else with Games Workshop. And that is, when it comes to the assembly of models, I'm sure they overcomplicate it in places to make sure people feel like they made a worthwhile purchase. Like, there'll be, certainly, with every single Necromunda gang, an arm can come in three pieces... And then the gun will be in like two or three. And then Ooh. the other arm is like another three pieces. The torso can be two pieces. Legs can be separate pieces. A head can be two pieces. There'll be a bit which connects to the body, which is a piece. Like, you can have like fucking 20 pieces or more for like a guardsman, essentially. And I've seen it elsewhere with Games Workshop stuff, like with the Chaos Star Collecting. There's plenty of points where it was like... Um, the, no, the most egregious one was one for the Obliterators. They're like a fucking chain gun. And all of that, the chain gun, and, like, that half of the body is all one piece. And then there's, like, a two-millimeter thick bit that glues onto the end of the chain gun that gives it, like, the ends of the barrels. There's no fucking reason that couldn't have been part of the chain gun. It just leads me to think there's a lot of stuff where GM's Workshop will cut things up a little bit more than they need to be, just to make it so like, oh, you spent a worthwhile time building shit. And Necromunda suffers as a result of this. No, it's crazy. It's like the, the Admech Chicken Walker versus Sentinel of the Imperial Guard. Sentinel of the Imperial Guard, the leg pieces are like four pieces. Chicken of the Mechanicum, it's like 10, 12. Jesus. For much the same model. Like they, and again, because it's so monoposed, the, the chicken model, 
Yeah. It could have been way less pieces. I think it's like over a hundred pieces or something. Fucking stupid. Hell. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not that many, but it feels like that many. It's <laughs> so many. And trying to build you know, a unit with, of them is draining. Yeah. I mean with with Necromunda, I think it's got worse with the newer kits. And it, it's like it's both a pro and a con. I think for people like us, when you've got to get seventeen pieces to make one dude to people like us it gets annoying because you just want to play the game you just want to get to if you're really heavily into the modeling i think having 17 pieces is really good because it gives you a lot of versatility depending on the pieces because some of them it's like it's half an arm that glues to the back of the arm Mm -hmm. it's like that doesn't add any conversion capability that's just a chore like just just make it an arm. Just make it one arm that I can glue to the side of the body. Or the case of that fucking obliterator. What were you thinking? Yeah, just, just do it. Just do it. But yeah, that's the that's the the crux. So I mean, like the Panthen, huge amounts of pieces because I had a look at it, and it's just. I'm so glad that I did Goliaths because Goliaths were like three pieces for the legs, <laughs> two pieces for torso, one head, two arms. Get on with it, like. <laughs> Like, it's so much better. Whereas now it's like his shoes, his shoe buckle, his shoe laces, his hat. It's like, come on. Well, if we get to like a third wave of Necromunda gangs, it's just going to be like a hundred pieces per person, quite literally. Yeah, it'll be like tiny, tiny Lego bricks each. For like no discernible benefit either. <laughs> okay, so Dark Uprising. Let's let's talk about just Dark Uprising. All right, let me let me just put this out here. It's fucking cool. Like, I fucking like the gangs in it, and it looks fun. <laughs> That's all I had to say. <laughs> Valid points. Valid points. Yeah. So, what is Dark Uprising? What does it add to your... First of all, it adds the um, the latest campaign. Which, I think, again, there's some discrepancies between the rulebook that's in the book and this the like side release book which is the rule book if you just want the rules you can buy that book but i think there's some discrepancies between the two which is just nutty because they released them at the same time but anyway anyway maybe it isn't maybe it's just the same book with a hardback cover i don't know i've heard mixed results <laughs> so this this new game book what does it add it adds the campaign uh of a hive i can't remember the name of let's just call it rothgol because that is what the name of one of the hearts, but it's right. probably not. Let's just call it wrong. Why not David? It's the, it's the tale of David the Hive. Yeah. Big David. Big David is a hive that is mostly dedicated to the production of corpse starch. And as we all know, from human bodies. Just resources on Necromunda. Yeah, it's just recycling. Exactly. The whole planet's about recycling. It's a green initiative. And again, fantastic. I love the fact that we're just we're just casual soylent green. Just chuck it in there. Just chuck it in with the, the big brothy lore. So we've got Judge Dredd, we've got Soylent Green, we've got high fantasy space for loot and crap. Excellent. Excellent. It's so that broth. Mm, mm, mm. So tasty. And Basically, the corpse starch is produced by the corpse grinder guild. What do these guys do? Well, these guys uh, chop up all the bodies. Because one thing that Necromunda is not short of is manpower. And 
bizarrely, I have the, the law yet, bizarrely the best way of doing that is to have people chop them up and then chuck the bodies into massive fleshy sore pits, if you well, know what I mean. Maybe like it's the kind of thing where you could industrialize it, but it requires somebody designing it and building it and putting it all together and making shit, and they just haven't got that technology. They haven't got Story the time to do that. Like they, they started out doing this, and because it's kept on working like that and provides employment of a sort, they've kept on doing it. Well, yeah, maybe they don't have the STC for Sonic Green. Yeah, exactly. There's a whole bunch so, of reasons as to why this could happen, and it's explained well enough, which is great. So it turns out that chopping up bodies all day has quite the negative impact on the the guild members. When we were saying earlier about the whole teeny tiniest of cogs and a very small machine and a huge pile of fuck of machines, this section of Necromunda is where it's hammered home the hardest because you're taking apart all the other cogs that are broken. <laughs> like, just imagine that. Your day job is to chop up bodies as they come down a conveyor towards you. And have them ground down into nothing to make food. And grinding them up. Knowing that that's also your fate. Yep. Knowing completely. Like, there's, there's a whole kind of reflection of mortality going on this conveyor. And people start to get a bit nutty. And it's really... Like, oof, oof, I do enjoy this law. I do enjoy it. I, yeah, I enjoy it with yeah, a nice Sauvignon Blanc <laughs> alongside this law as I digest it. Because the guild is heavily dedicated, because once again, we've got to meet these quotas. People need to be fed. And Sol and Green needs... Sol and Green is sold by Lord Helmore. He is tithe. Or when you get slightly... Loose screws, we'll call them, on the production line that might cause issues. They have to be dealt with. Now, how do you identify a loose screw? Do you, do you know the law for this one? I don't. I don't know too much of the law beyond what we've already discussed. Like Pretty much beyond this, I'm very iffy on. Like, I don't really know at all. Okay, so... How, how would you identify a loose screw amongst a mixture of potentially loose screws? This comes in a few ways. So, it can either be generally, you know, being being a bit unhinged, maybe talking to oneself, maybe referring to to certain, uh, you know, deities, perhaps? I don't know. I think uh, singing would scare the shit out of me, depending on what... Singing would be terrifying. Like, I, I was about to say, if it was Barbie World, I'd laugh, but I don't know. Having a great big burly bastard singing Barbie World while cutting a body to pieces would probably unnerve me. <laughs> I don't know why, but I imagine the... Um, Coco Cabana song. Which one? <laughs> is it, hang on. It's, um... Ah, Coco Cabana. What about, hang on, Time in a Bottle, that being sung slowly by a great big burly bastard cutting up bodies. That would be fucked up and weird. Yeah, it'd be crazy. I mean, Coco Cabana would... I mean, that that's like the fun production... <laughs> as they go around, you know, like swinging on chains, like massive musical numbers. Um, <laughs> that's what I was no, so these people uh, might just sort of be acting a bit crazy. Or the more serious one is they start to actually eat the corpses coming down the line. That's fucked up and awesome. And that's, you know, you, you're going to start missing your quotas, eating all the, the food resource. 
There's two ways food. of dealing. It is food. Yeah. It's definitely food. There are a few ways of dealing with this. So the first way, you know, if if he if he's not too crazy, maybe he's just hungry. Maybe he's just starving. You know, that's just that's, that's the thing all. which happens a lot in Necromunda as well. They put these special headsets on you, and you can see them on the models, and those prevent them from eating the corpse. It actually goes across their mouth. It is like this locked headpiece to stop them eating the corpses. And they can stay in production. They'll stay there with that little headpiece on, not disturbing anyone. Or they take a more extreme uh, course of action, which can include, number one, uh, sealing them into barrels used to convey the body just as a heads up, until they either die, stop acting crazy, <laughs> or... This is the good old uh, Victorian well, London method of <laughs> dealing with the crazy. <laughs> seal them in barrels with bodies. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, or they just send them out into the ash waste naked and alone to die. Uh, or they just straight up murder them. They don't, they don't faff about. They just go, right, kill him. Sometimes straight into us. Now, holy crap. <laughs> like, just like the scenario of this already is a melting pot of psychosis. Like, yeah. I can already feel the atmosphere here. Like, this crazy kind of oppressive insanity, but also imposed servitude. Like, it, it's just. Wow, oh, it's it's so good. It is so good. And the corpse grinder cults, not the guild, uh, they are bands of these crazy dudes together. And okay, th this is the bit which I'm not I'm not so hot on. You know, it's a bit it's a bit too much for me. Um, they start to hear voices in there. Okay, not a problem. That's cool. That's still still that's cool. Yeah. Uh, that they, there becomes like this this manifest voice that everyone seems to kind of get to them, which is the god of flesh and sinew. I believe it's flesh and sinew, don't quite. Who is actually corn. Uh, which... Alright, fuck. Yeah. I, I was on board up until it's actually corn. Because. It sucks that they it's corn. Like they hard say it's corn. And to be fair to modern Necromunda, this is from old Necromunda. Okay. But it's a carryover. Time, at the same time. If they'd left it ambiguous, yeah. Then for a start it would probably be corn. You could maybe have it be something like Nurgle. Uh Zinch could be tricking them. Or the far creepier option is because there's enough people working in these conditions and feeding the great machine that is Necromunda. There kind of could be a... Was it the god of flesh, etc. That exists within the warp as a result of them believing in it or having these feelings. Albeit obviously not as powerful as a real chaos god, but... Eh. I also think, you know, kind of insinuating that they're having sex with corpses would also be... Maybe frowned upon. Like What? <laughs> <laughs> I would say if you flesh and pleasure, you know, it all 
Apparently, well, wait, where the fuck, where the fuck did that come from? That I had had nothing to do with that. You brought in corpse banging out of nowhere. Well, I was just saying, that's the natural conclusion. Then that's why they went with corn. Okay, because <laughs> if it wasn't corn, there was gotta be corpse banging. It would just be straight to to fucking corpses. Okay, that's all we can say. So yes, yeah, <laughs> so necrophilia they... back into Necromunda. Good God. Yeah, thank goodness that Necromunda doesn't go into real issues, just cannibalism and yeah. just <laughs> just chaos worship. Just fun so cannibalism. They they begin to worship this sinewy god. And it turns out it's corn. Eh, eh, you know, I'm not keen, you know, but it's there. It's there. It's kind of that war cry perspective which we both enjoy, where it just says they worship a like an aspect of corn which they do not realise is corn. They have no knowledge of corn. They just, you know, they, they have this belief. And it would have been much better if it was just more that they went crazy and this was kind of like uh, trying to liberate the people, like, in a good way, but then it turns insidious and all that. That would have been awesome. Because at the end of the day, it's a load of nutters, like people that have been driven insane by the, the, the work that they have to carry out. Yeah. And they're trying to liberate other people. Like, how does an insane person do? Probably in a very crazy manner, one would assume. <laughs> And uh, these are the guys. And eventually their influence spreads and spreads and spreads um, to the point where this hive, Hive David, is becoming unproductive. And it takes about a year for the rest of Necromunda to see, see that Hive David is really starting to touch away. Is their response, David! I mean, I would say the response was very even-handed. Uh, <laughs> so, and there's a brilliant text in the front of the rule book, uh, which is basically like a text slab that's a data slate sent to Hive David, and it appears on all the monitors around the because Lord Helmore has got a message for you, um, and it basically says, "Dear citizens, citizens of Peach Trees." Do not be alarmed. There is nothing wrong here. We just, we have to make sure that everything goes according to plan. Again, don't worry. Apocalypse protocol activated. <laughs> so, Necromunda cannot live without food. It needs its food supply. So they come in heavy and this is the full arrival of the cops the the fucking praetorian smith lords arrive and they find that the hive is in a state of being turned into a charnel house it is slicked with blood there is rampant cannibalism because the corpse were taken over the the corpse starch facility and uh when you're a cannibal Side note here, when you're a cannibal, you don't need corpse starch. You just don't need it. You go straight to the source. That that meaty resource that you've been denied for so long, it's now just there in abundance. And hot, too. I'd be anyway, temperature-wise. I really hope Temperature, yeah, not, not, like, not like sexy, like... Yeah, so warm, excellent. 
And yeah, so the, the corpse kind of cults have stopped making the corpse starch. So the whole hive is starving. And in that hive is not just the corpse grinder cult. We have the classic gang houses as well. They exist in there because they, their influence is spread across all Necromunda. You know, it, it's different proportions in different hives. So you have some Delac favored hives, you have some Escher favored hives. Um, gang David, the fair mix. Uh, sorry, Hive David, not, not Gang. Hive David. So the, the gangers are there and they're starting. And it's kind of this awesome descent into chaos and that is what the campaign is as well and you have the enforcement arrive they try to restore order and you've basically walked into a hive that is blacked out it is shut off to the world the powers the generatoriums it's all failing and you've got a bunch of madmen running around with axes used to cut up corpses and they're devouring And it's fucking cool because it gets the whole the whole kind of like power mechanic. Like, yeah, okay, the gang houses and the structure of Hive Primus, which is Lord Helmore's Hive, most of Necromunda, like the rule. Yeah, it's this intricate balance of power structures, whereas as soon as you take away the food, what is the power structure? It suddenly resolves, resolves back to might makes right. If I've got a gun, if I've got the to take food away from you, I'm going to take it away. But there's no more food. There's no more food being produced. And the only place where food is being produced is run by cannibals. <laughs> well, the only place where there could be food produced, I say. So if anybody says, "Oh, why don't we just run the uh, food production fa uh, facility?" Good luck. <laughs> Good luck getting it. Yeah. And the you campaign does a really... You have to go to one of the darkest, creepiest sections of the hive in some of the most unpleasant conditions, which is these people's home turf. Could you imagine how fucking A, terrifying, and B, fucked you'd be? Yeah. And the book does such a good job of reinforcing that kind of desperation within the hive including rules such as cannibalism uh, and starvation. So this is just an example rule. When someone goes out of action, sorry, when they, when they are seriously injured in a certain range, I can't remember, a certain range of someone that has a starvation rule, they have to pass a willpower check or they instantly use their activation to go over and devour the person on the floor. It doesn't take the person on the floor out of action either. So they can be devoured for multiple turns while this person feeds on them. Crazy. Awesome. <laughs> Crazy. Again, it, it's this kind of shit which is like, I know it's going to be unbalanced as fuck. I know it's going to be poorly worded. I know where every time we play a game, oh. we'll lose about 10, 20 minutes to going, does it work this way or not? But I fucking want to play it. <laughs> it and that, that's Necromunda. That's Necromunda. The narrative is so strong there. And just, I love the idea that yeah, okay, let's say we're a team of enforcers. We kick open the door, we go into the hive. Okay, there's these madman madmen with axes, but we've got guns, we've got ammunition, we've got and slowly as time goes on, dwindle, your ammunition dwindles, your resources dwindle, and your food dwindles. So even as the enforcers 
you're going to end up starving. And what do you do in desperation? And it's oh, it's so fucking cool. And it's the, the, the dissolution of order as the campaign is on. And okay, yes, it's a bit heavy places in this in this campaign uh, the first half of the campaign is considered the order phase and there's like a certain calculation where if the chaos start winning it can go to the chaos phase but arbitrarily halfway through the campaign even the order's winning it goes to chaos which again is kind of like a ugh, well, come on like it's, if, if it's kind of fine if you knew that going into it though because i know that we are we spent a while trying to work out a titanicus like campaign for three people, which would naturally fall to chaos. So I'm interested to see how they do it. And there's also like mutations as well. So when you get people that are injured, they don't just mutations. Uh, and if they get enough mutations that to equal their toughness, they turn into chaos spawn. Mm. Cool, cool. Um, okay, so once again, the fluff, the lord. God, it's so good. I mean, okay, but that's that's a personal grievance, you know. But the actual like processing of corpses, like again, when you when I read the first you know Necromunda books when I was looking into the lore before seventeen came out, you just read corpse starch. You think, yeah, okay, they just turn people into food, like soil and green. Yeah, soil and green. Like bizarrely, that's quite easy to read. Don't know what that says about me, but it's just like a okay, I understand. But then with this, it's like you have people that are cutting up corpses all day, knowing that they're feeding on them. And like, <laughs> if you don't do your job, you're just going to be murdered or shut into a barrel with corpses. It's like, man, it's it's just, it's so crazy. And yeah, it's something that you didn't even consider. You didn't even think, yeah, there's dude cutting out the bodies. It's like, oh man, it's so cool. But then we get to the rules. Again, this campaign is very, very good if you have gangs that you're not very well attached to <laughs> or you want to make it like the end, the decline of a campaign, which I also really like the idea. Yeah. Like, I really like the idea that you've got maybe like six gangs or something that have been through the trials, they've been through the ascendancy, but now we're into the into the decline of the hive. Like, this is something outside of your control. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Rules are definitely punishing. So like starvation, like you can just cannibalize dudes. You can cannibalize captives. You can just, you know, like someone goes down, seriously injured next to you. Instead of helping them back up, you're like, I'm going to eat him. <laughs> Which again, could be problematic. Um, but let's talk about the gangs for a second. So, so they have the Palantine Enforcers, uh, which they, they've come out before and they're cool and they've got bolt guns. But for this box in particular, they add in like, it's five of the standard dudes and five which are like close combat variants with shields subjugators and yeah they're fucking awesome <laughs> they are fucking great okay so let's let's just talk about this game real quickly and again this was one of my pages so this gang pretty tough gang they've got decent armor they can be improved very very easily so the shields give them plus one armor they can get to a 4-plus save versus normal shots, 3-plus versus blast and templates. The shield that goes to a 3-plus normal, 2-plus against blast and templates, which again, situationally, insane. 
yeah. insane. I mean, the melted gun is still laughing, and this is where melted guns really come into the and are still terrifying. And it's like that's a two hundred point dude, and I could just shoot through his shield. And again, it should. It's an anti armor weapon. A riot shield is not going to stop a melted. Fantastic. Did you say that they changed melted guns now. After that box came out, they now released an FAQ where they say melted guns just instantly kill. Yeah, I think that there was again there was a weird like mismatch in the armories. So now melters have the melter rule, which I think is just you're out of action instead of injury rolls. Alright. Which is just honky tonk fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a melter gun hitting. It's a melter gun. It's a melter gun. Seeing as Necromunda's already imbalanced as fuck, at least making it feel like it should is a good step. Like something that's strength eight, AP minus four, hitting you in the chest. And only causing a flesh wound. It's like, yeah. mm, I'm not sure. This thing is made to punch holes in tanks. Like, this back in the day yeah. could instant kill a space marine. They could a Bane blade. Kill a space marine leader back in the day. Like, this is... A Bane blade. Yeah. Nutty stuff, yeah. Or even Titan. You could even get one shot at by a melter going back in the good old days with that. <laughs> if you're lucky enough. <laughs> it's crazy. So, yeah, so subjugators and forces. So, they're really expensive points wise. Uh, they have good gear out the gates because they have access to slightly cheaper bolt guns, which everyone kind of like. Everyone poo-poos because they're only five points cheaper, but it's a bolt gun. A bolt yeah. gun in Necromunda is so good. Because it's such rapid a good weapon. Fire, multiple damage, AP minus one. They're great. They also take the ammo checks on a full plus because it's meant to represent their higher quality of the bolt gun and they're well maintained and all that sort of stuff. So they're they more have... reliable, cheaper bolt guns. Which and we they love. Have access to the arms as well. So it's like it, it's like rather than it being a rarity to have bolt guns, they actually have access to you know the ammunition regularly. That sort of shit. So they're damaging. They're expensive, depending on your build. I mean, you can run fairly cheap. I say fairly, you know, but you you kind of like Vanser Goliath numbers. You can achieve the same with enforcers, but they all have bolt guns. Their stat line. Statline's not great for enforcers. Uh, there's nothing special. I think they're four plus WS, four plus BS. Mm. So they're like they're pretty bog standardy boys. I think they have like a weird cover rule or covering rule, like Overwatch style thing, where if one of their guys is charged and they have someone else within range, the other person can take a shot at the person charging them if they're visible. Yeah, yeah, that's in their skills. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't remember what it's called. Um, so their skill, like their champions and. But as a starting gang, again, it's kind of this conflicting thing. I mean, the general opinion online rubbish and they're trash and they're all this and all that. But just as a starting gang, like out the gate, they're very good. They're very good just coming out the gate, in my opinion. Okay, their stats are kind of gone. But just widespread access to cheaper ones. Yeah. Like everyone just underplays that. But that is so decent. Like, a like, yes, bolt okay, gun the... gets you on... Like, while their stats aren't great, the bolt guns put you on good footing against pretty much any opponent. Like, it's not like um, some guns where going against Goliath is like, well, my guns are kind of shit. I'll hope I have to roll high eventually and wound them enough to make them go down. With a bolt gun, it's like, sit the fuck down. <laughs> I mean, bolt guns just do work. Yeah. They do work. They're a reliable gun in their hands. You know, it's all decent. So their, their skill sets that they've got access to, again, they're pretty darn decent. They've got the counter-charge skill, which is if someone is charged within a certain range. I think it's like six inches of them. They instantly counter-charge, and they actually resolve their charge before the initial oh, charger. 
which means you could just sit them on their ass. Charge. It's quite cool to think, though, you know, Goliath Man charges a chapter bolt gun, is reloading. Just before he lands, chap with a shield yeah. twats him to the ground. It's like, no. <laughs> Step down, citizen. <laughs> just really politely managed, which they're probably not. And they also have, like, a skill, which is that, yeah, if you charge them, they can shoot you. Yeah, and, um, like, everyone wants to play as Judge Dredd now and again. Everyone wants to play as Judge Dredd. Yeah. So, my issue with these guys, uh, a real trading post, which was massive, because they start out really strong, they get good stuff out the gate, but they couldn't advance to the later gang level, like mm. Goliath or Escher or Van Sayer. You know, they can get access to the black market shit. They can, they get the good shit. Whereas the the enforcers, it's kind of like, they come out the gates with decent stuff, and that's as good as they get. Which, I, to be fair, I'm kind of fine with, with the con, as, as long as it's, you know, the idea that they're not a standard gang. They're not meant to be doing standard things, which is fine. Yeah, it's like exotic animal pelts. Like, unless you're playing, like, really corrupt cops, should they be getting them? Yeah. Like, if they're meant to be, like, bog standard guys. So, my issue with them is just as a kind of, like, player point of view, is that I think they, they mollywomp the early game. I think they've changed it so they now have access to the market, though. They have also changed the access so they yeah. to the market. So if you've got a good player with these guys, I fear that they're going to be just too strong for too long. But if they start out good, they get the advantage, and then they can get the late-game gear earlier than everyone else as well. It's going to be painful. I mean, again, they're not as good as Vanser. No one is. Vanser are just the best gang, I think. Um yeah, widely held opinion that they're the best. They're expensive, but goddamn, they do work. They're expensive, but goddamn, they worth it. Like, like they are the one, the one gang to toys before boys. Yeah, because you can get, as we said, like one chap is hitting on a two plus of the melter gun. Insanity. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> so I feel like the enforcers should be an arbitrator tool. Like I said before, I think they should be guys in special missions. Where, like, for example, okay, there's a capture mission or captive mission, uh, a rescue mission, sorry, that was what it was called, where a gang has taken somebody captive. You have to break in, you have to save them. Now, again, this can be one-sided in favor of the gang that is trying to free the captive because, again, you have the sentries, you have the activations, and you could just use this to, like, kill the shit out of the enemy gang. You could abuse this. Now... If it enforces this, the sentries, controlled by the arbitrator, there aren't a gang that needs to be replenished. I think it's perfectly fine to do these sort of sentry scenarios where you can heavily punish the sentry player. Because, you know, it's like you're breaking into, like, the police to save your, your gang leader. Because also the, the... What are they called? I keep forgetting the name. They're not arbitrators. They're Pan enforcers. Forces. Palatine, yeah, Palantine, 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 Palantine. It's a P. The it's P a P. Forces. The, the P, P boys. Forces. P forces. P diddies. Uh, yeah. I don't really see them as being run in a typical gang game. Like they just they weirdly fit against their. Like I think the six core houses have a nice kind of like fluidity against each. Whereas the enforcers are a bit kind of both like strong and also like they just feel like an arbitrator. Yeah, yeah. Like they've like kind of like bounty hunters in a weird way. I think bounty hunters are a really balanced game. 
because if you're really far behind you can't afford them if you're really far ahead you can afford them and they're just in addition to your gang so it's like it's a really punishing mechanic if you do it that way whereas if you're the the arbitrator and you can give someone bounty hunters if they fall behind you know that sort of thing anyway same thing with the arbitrators and like those sentry missions when you just have like expendable assets so that you can play the mission so you can have the fun narrative of trying to like sneak around not act, you know not activating anyone without the punishment of oh shit half my gang has died or half my gang is missing missing because you did a rescue mission um so i think they're a really weird spot i love the models models are awesome oh yeah models are fantastic and i think in the in the game of dark uprising i think that's a really cool game setting the idea of this cult that's going mad and you've got the enforcers trying to crack down on it uh, i really love their law again it's just like judge dread they have corruption within the banks they have a lot of dirty cops they're cops it's awesome like they just they took from judge dread but they did it in a great way and we're all happy with it so corpse grinder cult oh dear god <laughs> those models Dear God. Those okay. Models. I don't know. I don't like the champion models. You know, the big boys? They look not. a bit... They look a bit insectoid to me, which is not? weird. I'm going to look at them right fucking now. Hang on. I actually really like the initiates. I like the dudes with, the, like, the little head cages on. Those guys are awesome. Whereas the champions just look weird and insectoid and... I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm having a look at it. I'm finding it. I'm, I'm doing this to call you wrong. Specifically. Okay, but they do look insect, right? Okay, dun, dun, dun. Dark Uprising. There it is. Oh, okay, ah, but... they're recommending it as like the new start. It's like, no, that's not, don't, no. Don't get people started with this. What have you got against these models, Henry? They just look insectoid to me. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the giant horns coming off of their helmets. It's the big horns of the thing that put me off. And the whole kind of... They look too Age of Sigmar corny. You know, with the whole, I've got two axes and I'm going to... This. <laughs> to corn drip drop. Which, you know, whatever. I prefer on berserkers. But anyway, okay. Okay. Let's let's get into the gristle of these guys. So law buys excellent other than the whole corn thing, but that's personal taste. That's what we don't like because we prefer less of a whole. This is the mechanisms of mechanisms of the, the dark powers, but really directly, like Zinch is whispering directly into this guy's ear because he really cares about the outcome of this hive. Yeah. It's like, nah, fuck that noise. <laughs> it's it's not about that. What rules? Speaking of the models, though, what do you think of the member sacks on the heads, though? Because the sacks are awesome. The sacks are fantastic. Yeah, like they cool. need more sacks. Like the sack dude is fucking cool. I love yeah. that. It's really dark and foreboding. Um, rules wise, rules wise, these guys are just nutty. Are they? They are like okay. So with with all the other necromancers, with the exception of Vanser, you can say that they they kind of worked from a, an average baseline. You know, like, it, it's all fairly standard. Like, yes, there's a bit of deviation. Yes, points, costs, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, like, Goliaths are, are tougher and stronger, but they move slower. Uh, and they also have BS4+, plus, whereas Orlocks are, you know, faster moving, less toughness. You know, it's... 
those guys are strength, toughness. I, no, is it strength, toughness four? I don't know. It's definitely strength four on the champions. Yeah. And toughness four. Yeah, it is toughness. Strength, toughness four on the champions. Initiates are strength three, toughness. Now, would you like to know the gimmick of their playstyle? What is the gimmick of their playstyle? If I said to you one word, which I think would sum up the entire gist of what I'm poking at, mm. infiltrate. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> every oh, single one of their gangers. Every single one of them has infiltrate. Ooh. Now, to to make this make sense for everyone else, uh, if you have a champion or a leader that has the the cunning skill set, they roll randomly, or you choose, you know, depending on your methodology, where one champion or one leader could be in the same team, so you could have two. They can infiltrate, but it's just that dude. This is a gang of infiltrators. A gang, which means you set up, I think, like a crazy short distance away from people. See you, it's like six inches away from them. I think it's further than that. I think it's about 12. It's like nine or 12. I don't know, because I remember playing some games against you where it was pretty nutty close around corners. Oh, yeah, because it, it doesn't take into it takes walls into account so you can't go through walls you can wrap around yeah and don't forget this is like this game mode also has verticality yeah that's true so all your guys this this is a close combat game by the way if anyone hadn't guessed they all take axes they don't take guns now this is really interesting because necromander normally shooting is the way to go shooting is winning same as 40k like why would you run at a dude with your fists when you can just shoot them from yeah. 20 inches away. Just the way it is. So close combat gang, already it's interesting because you think, oh, they're going to be a deficit because they don't have any ranged weapons. We'll come back to that. So they're close combat. They infiltrate super close to you. Super, super, super close. And this gang, it kind of feels like all the other gangs, yes, we'll make an exception. But all the other ones, they they kind of wanted to create a, a kind of a limitation. Okay, so for example, Fansairs, they have the servo harness in their starting gear, which means that they can move and fire heavy weapons. Okay, excellent. It's big. It's big. Goliath don't have that. Escher don't have that. Cordor don't have that. Black don't have that. I don't know about Orlok. I can't be bothered about checking the rules. <laughs> they might have it. They might have it. <laughs> But it's huge. It is huge. Goliaths can't get las guns in their basic gear. They can't have las guns. The most plentiful, abundant weapon in the galaxy. They cannot have them. Again, limitations. Limitations. So these infiltrating nymphos. Sorry, that, mofos. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not the word you wanted. Was they have sex with corpses, TM. <laughs> in my fanfiction. Now, these guys have all the bells, whistles, and side hors d'oeuvres that you could ever ask for. So they come with plate mail, which I believe is a 5 plus save, uh, and then there's some like bonus rule where it becomes a 6 plus versus that, or a 5 plus versus whatever. Oh, no, I think it's 6 plus to 5 plus, right? Okay. Okay. They all come with armored body suits, which is plus one to their armor save. Oh, okay. All right. I mean... 
you know, typically when we look at the other gangs, uh, there's a reason for their equipment. So like Van Ser, they have the Radphage weapons because they use, uh, you know, radioactive materials to degrade people's health because turns out radioactivity is not... Yeah, spoiler. But, <laughs> spoiler. But Escher have the... Uh, I feel like Sean Connery's saying, Escher. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was going to go German then. I don't know why. <laughs> Escher, they have the toxin weapons, right? And that's because they're they're the guild of making toxin weapons. You know, that's their whole shtick. That's their purpose in the hives is to create drugs. And that's why they have exotic toxin weapons because other people can, because they manufacture it. Yeah, sure, have all the shit. Why do the corpse grinder cult have armored undersuits? Why would they have armor on? Dudes that just cut up bodies. Yeah. Weird. Like, they already have the plate mail. But they're already wearing armor that you could maybe say, okay, they've they forged it because they they want to... You've got to be pretty crazy to go out there naked. Armor does look a lot more homemade than, uh, you know, yeah, professionally made. Yeah, armored undersuits, like, that's, that's fairly fancy. Yeah. May I remind you that no other gang starts with them. Van Seer can buy them in their starting gear, but no other gang starts with them. Maybe Corpse Grinder Cars have to buy them. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they start with them for free. They can also take the masks that you see. Yeah, I've heard about these. Good fucking God. Okay, so number one, they give you plus one to your armor save. Naturally. There's like three different versions of masks. I'm going for the medium level. Because the top level is kind of ass, but the, the, the medium level, <laughs> you get plus one to your armor save. So they're now on a four plus save, sometimes three plus, depending on what the weapon is or the weapon type or whatever plate mail special is, right? Mm. Okay, that's strong. So four plus, three plus. It also gives them the fearsome special. Yeah. Which means if you want to charge them or attack them in close combat, you have to make a willpower check. Yeah. This is bullshit, because not only do you have to make a willpower check, if you fail that willpower check, it instantly ends your turn no, with that, that character. Well, no, with that, that character. Taken, yeah. With that character. So if you did a group activation, you could still... Act. But that dude stops. He has lost his turn. Now, for most gangs, willpower sits about 7, right? 7 plus. Mm. And you roll 2d6, and if you roll higher than 7, you Gucci, or equal to 7. So mathematically, you're just ever so worse than a 50% chance to lose your turn for trying to push these guys. And there is no workaround. There is no... Because normally with Necromander, you can buy gear to mitigate a lot of stuff. So let's say, for example, the toxin weapons, you can buy rebreathers. Let's say you've got someone that uses a lot of flame weapons. You can use the um, hazard suit. You know, Again, there are ways around it. It's problematic with the whole winner keeps on winning thing. Because there's an answer to just yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You become the mold because you've got the money. Yeah. So, but, but anyway, but there are ways to mitigate a lot of the stuff. Not all the stuff, but a lot of the stuff. This is something that you just can't mitigate. Yeah. 
Ah, now, as Goliath, this upsets me because not only are their champions as strong and as tough as mine, they have better armor, and there is 50-50 that I can't charge them. Or close enough 50-50. I mean, I'll just check the willpower of the Goliath. I mean, Goliath are one good. of the better ones. Yeah. I know they're cool. It's amazing. Let's just try that. Okay, so we're a random Goliath ganger. It's a nine plus. Yeah. What? 75% of the time, I will not be allowed to charge them. But, at the Good same time... Good fucking God! At the same time, nothing's stopping you putting a grenade next to them. At the same time? And, like, just the thing is that they... Their war gear is extremely limited, because I think they're all their champion dudes, all their bigger dudes cannot have ranged weaponry at all. Which is a pretty fucking huge limitation, Necromunder. Okay. So let's hit... Plasma cannons, for a start. Let's hit Sector Mechanicus. And I've got some heavy bolter toting uh, goliaths. Yeah. And I am just pounding the shit out of them. Excellent. I'm very happy. <laughs> But let's say that they infiltrate close to me, and like any close combat glass I have, they're instantly a waste of points. And like, okay, yes, it's Necromunda. Typically, any close combat guys are just a waste of points. You know, let's be honest. If they only have close combat, it's a waste of points. You should give them a pistol. You should give them something. Yeah. But like renderize the champions... 75% chance. I mean, okay, they've got one better willpower. So it's like a 60 to 70% chance that I can't charge you. So I'm not going to take a renderizer. But if this is like a you know six-way gang battle, I'm going to have some close combat guys because I want to have... But this just forces me to play more optimally. This just says, actually, I'm shutting you down. You can't play like that. I've heard about some people playing games with these chaps. And the main takeaway is that they're enormously bloody. Like, it's not so much that these guys run away with it, it's just there's huge amounts of casualties on one side. Uh, oh, sorry, on both sides. Because there's also no way these guys can reliably pin. Like, they may get in a fairly good sort of alpha strike with charges thanks to infiltration, or get in some good close combat initially. But if you can back up or deploy differently, you can then just really fuck up their day. Like, it's... I think they're very cool, but... I don't know. They're, they're, they're... I haven't played with them, so I can't comment on them exactly. But there just sounds like there's a lot of, like, potential risk factors in terms of, like, oh, maybe that's a bit too much. Maybe that's a bit too powerful for them. Maybe all of it together is a little teeny bit too much. Like, maybe it'd be yeah. fine if they didn't have the armor. If you If you give them, like, six plus saves... The infiltrate and the masks. Maybe it's all fine. I mean, they're also really expensive. Mm. But let me just lay down some knowledge. Let me just drop a hot track on this one. Okay. You know those those tubes, those toughness three, strength three. Fairly fairly cheap guys. Yep. And you know how I said that they don't really have any ranged. They have pistols. Oh, they have pistols, all right. Yep. Do you know what sort of pistol? Auto pistol. 
a flame pistol. Fuck off. And Fuck would you right would you like would you like to know the price of a Goliath flame pistol? They cannot have flame pistols. That's insane. A hand flamer, sorry. Hand flamer. Hand flamer. They cannot have hand flamers. That's insane. Goliaths from their base equipment can buy a hand flamer for 75 points. So let's bear in mind that a juve can only have 25 points uh, maximum cost as equipment. 25, uh, 25 points max, 20 credits max, 20 credits max. So 75 were way above, so I can't give hand flamers to juves. Bearing in mind that I do not have infiltrate, unless I give it to a champion, and even then, I've got to, like, segue... I can't even get cunning. I can't even get it. I would have to randomly roll the table, randomly luck out and get cunning, then randomly roll that skill to get it. Okay? So 75 points. Seems fair. These guys, get them for 25 points. They get it for a third the cost of my guys, and they can give it to their initiates, who are their juves. So okay, very, I, very I, cheap. I don't think they're starting pistols or hand flamers, but I'm, I see what you mean. You, they can just give them the hand flamers for incredibly cheap. Yeah, they, they can equip their, their initiates with hand flamers. Yeah, that's kind Which, of nasty. Nah, nah, <laughs> and there's, there's a stipulation in their rules that they have to have more initiates than their, than their big boys, than the champions, than the, you know, the big armored dudes. Hmm. But that's just fine and dandy. Because now I can just take 10 dudes with hand flamers that just pop up right in front of your face and pie plate the shit out of you. <laughs> Yeah, that's insane. And all the stuff we're saying earlier about setting people on fire, and they're probably not going to do anything until they get put out, and that's really difficult to do. Oh, good God. And it's like, bearing in mind as well that Flame is auto-pin. So for anyone that is you know, new to the Necromancer scene, you're, you're already losing one action just for being hit by the Flame. So it's auto-pinning. Uh, you have to hope they run out of ammo, which Flamers can do. But yeah. So... That is the massive cheese of the Corpse Grinder cult. That's where the designers were not thinking. That's when the designers are just smoking a big old bag of California green. It's just... What? What were you thinking? I yeah. did avoid the accent there. Like, Oh man, and that is the perfect metaphor. It's just the Corpse Grinder cult. The law is there. Rules nowhere near this. And again, you then have to rule that because, it, again, someone on the Reddit, they were saying that they were playing against a guy that was doing the Corpse Rider Cult. He said, I don't know how to win. He's just infiltrating 10 dudes with hand flamers every battle. And the people's advice for dealing with this player, for dealing with this playstyle, don't play against him. Yeah. And Okay, some truth to that, but also you're always going to get people that are going to deal with it. Like, if there's a way to cheese something, even people with the best intentions will sniff at that cheese. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm a Goliath player that's out to have fun, that's out to throw grenades, to grit his teeth, to enter bloody combat. But I do look at the strength of some of the stuff and I do think, I could slip that into the gang. 
I could use this card again. I could use it. You know, it's just, it's always there. And with the Corpse Crown it's so easy to use because it's actually in their base gear. Like, it's not even a, not even an expense, not even a difficulty. They come with infiltration, they come with 25 point flavors. Like, it's just there to use. It's free real and estate. It's free real it's, estate. It's the worst thing being as well. It's not like the main thing about them is overpowered. It's because they haven't thought it through. It ends up being the random smaller dudes, which were just meant to be there to support the bigger lads, being wildly overpowered because they just haven't bothered thinking about it or testing it. They just went, that sounds cool. Okay, and then here's, here's the final, final, final thing I'll say on the Corpse Grinder Cult. Now, this is a really fun... Uh, I can't remember if it's a talent or if it's a card, but anyway, it's it's a it's a power up. It's a Mario Kart blue turtle. A blurtle. There there is a way for one of your fighters, one of your champions, uh, for each wound they cause, which is going to be close combat because they only have close combat weapons. For each wound they cause, they get plus one inch movement right oh that's cool now I, oh, I think it may be they may also get one attack as well there's ways to do that do that as well yeah yeah but they get dual axes which no one else has access to so if you bought an axe and you bought an axe on your escher gal she would have two axes that's how it works Corpse Grinder Cult, they would have paired axes. And paired axes, do you have an axe and an axe? You double your axe. Because oh. you've got two. Because oh. you've got two. Now, Corpse Grinder Cult champion, he comes with two. Basic. If you charge someone, you get a bonus attack. So that means each Corpse Grinder Cult champion on the charge has six attacks. Like, I don't care who you are. You can be Goliath, you can be a, a bot servitor, maybe even an Ambot, yeah. which is a giant mechanical behemoth for Necromunda. You're most likely... I mean, I wouldn't say for the Ambot. For everyone else, you're dead. For the Ambot, they've got a good chance of killing you, depending on the axes they take, because there's, like, multiple damage axes, in which case, hell yes, you're going down. <laughs> now... Couple that with that special rule, six attacks. I mean, on average, you're going to cause four wounds for the rest of the game. That being nine inches a turn, which is which, terrifying. So if you do a move, move, he's going to go eighteen inches. He's going the distance that Alaskan can shoot, basically. Like, it's very cool and thematic and creepy. Like, well done, Necromunda Ideas team. Please get a design team. But let's let's say he charges another person, yeah. right? Does the same thing. Another four inches. Well, but also because remember it increases the charge range. Because charge range is like a normal move, isn't it? Plus D three. Plus D three. So his charge but range gets longer and longer. You could potentially be he, charging like fifteen inches. Like yeah. If you if map. you do it to two people, on average, your movement is going to be thirteen inches for a charge plus D three. So it's a 15-inch charge. Well, surely Bearing it would mind... have to be... Well, oh, 
Here's the here's the kicker. It depends how they word it. If it's like damage, depending on the word, it could either be the actual damage done to them. So like you may just kill them instantly or do like two injuries and they die. Oh wait, no, that's not how necromantal works, is it? It's, it's just it's successful like, wounds. Yeah, it's just have successful to make wounds. Oh god, oh god, like, yeah. That's it doesn't like, doesn't matter what the injury roll. You just got to wound yeah, them. It's, yeah, they it, could save every single one of those. But you've still and you all still that get shit. the bonus movement. That's yeah. Awesome and horrifying. Like, but also, I don't think there's enough Lord dude moving twice the speed of a normal human. Uh, they're demony. An evil. Like, don't forget, a, a Goliath injects himself with psychosis-inducing steroids, and he increases his movement by two inches. All right. What if they're an <laughs> What if there's Laneshi? Yeah, but we already covered that. They're not fucking the corpses, so therefore no, they can't be Laneshi, Laneshi, They you know, cannot be Laneshi. As they start murdering people quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker, they're earning a little bit more of the favour of Laneshi going faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. Well, I mean... explain if, the insane speeds they get to, but still. If it was Laneshi, I'd have no problem. Yeah. If it was Laneshi. Okay, so let, let's wrap up. Let's wrap up, because this has been a length chat meandering all over the place. Do you want to guess how lengthy it's been? I'd say two and a half hours. We're at the th we're over the three hour mark. Well there you go. If you've made it this far you deserve an award. Yeah have a uh, fucking that medal. award. Have a fucking medal. It's in the post. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about telling us your names or addresses. It's in the post. We know. We, we know, know who all you the are the names and addresses of everyone we who made know it this who far. You are. Get in the fucking Discord. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Discord. If they've made it this far, they're probably in it already. You can have a free invite to the Discord if you yeah. made it this far. There you go. <laughs> Entirely free. Don't worry. It's yeah. on us. Just like your medal. Now, okay. So my my summary of Necromunda. Oh my god. I just I love it so hard. I really do. Me love it long time. And there's so much stuff in here. It's like the combination of an RPG. It's a combination of Dark Head and a board game. And I think super ambitious with everything that they've tried to do with it. And I think the team wasn't at big enough for all the amb ambition that's in the game. Yeah. You feel the love. You really feel the love of the game in the books. You can tell that they love it. Some areas, I don't think they love. I mean... Maybe I'm prejudiced. I would say the Goliaths maybe got not too much love, but it, 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 it's besides the point. It's besides the point. You really feel the the genuine enthusiasm of the writers, and whenever I've read like interviews with them, you see just how enthused and joyous they are to be doing it, and it really feels that way. The law is. Uh, you know, it's borderline watertight. It really is. I I love the shit out of it. I love the setting. I love the gangs. I love the... I would nearly say gang culture. You know, that's not... A, it's, no, it's pretty but, much the best thing which Games Workshop has going right now, law-wise. Yeah, and to to me, in particular, it is a renaissance... A rejuvenation of 40k. Because as much as I like 8th, I do like 8th, it's not grimdark. It really isn't. It's this a weird, is like sci-fi opera at this stage. Yeah, this is dudes getting faces put on them to stop them from eating the they're processing to feed 
the hives. Like it's just that that difference of Reboot Gilliman turns up, it's a two hundred year crusade and he cleans it up. Can we keep it clean for five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> you know. He cleans up the galaxy in two hundred years and it's just like a blah 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 cleaned up. Necromunda is like, fuck it, we have to be so careful that we don't all come crashing down. And oh, it's so good. The rules and the power gaming, I don't think is an issue for us. I don't think it's really an issue for our group. I think, if anything, you know, it's going to help us in a way to buffer some people up. Like, I think because of the, the breadth of how broken you can make yeah, things. Seeing as they tell us to arbitrate it anyway, like, fuck it. <laughs> Give me a working game and the ability to arbitrate it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I see it through rose tinted glasses. I am going to try. Um, I think I'll be successful. Try and what? Sorry, you cut out at that moment. I'm going to try and get one of our friends to get into Necromunda. Uh, I think I'll be successful in doing that. Uh, oh, I'm going to do like a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I think I think what it is for me, Necromunda <sighs> is a toxic relationship. <laughs> like, god damn, they make me happy, but they're also kind of shit at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh man, I I have so much love for it. I have so much hope for it. And even though there's stuff that is just massively like, this is fucked. <laughs> like hand flamers on everyone for incredibly cheap. It's infiltrating, like, it's crazy. Infiltrate, so they can just literally but, move and uh, fire a flamethrower, which will set fire to at least one of your guys, because they're always going to be within range. So they're yeah. immediately pinned, four plus they're on fire. And that's not even including if they hit multiple people with it. What were you thinking? But I am so in love with the game. I am one of the people that just I would be happy to rewrite rules. I'm already rewriting the heavy. <laughs> Again, I'm giving every Goliath uh, two wounds. Every Goliath this. weapon. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> Goliaths get a ten percent point reduction on everything they buy, and they win every scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the way it is. At the end, no, no matter no matter who won what, uh, if the Goliath won, they win. If the opponents won, it's a two plus that the Goliaths win. It seems fair. It seems Although, entirely you, fair. The thing is, Henry, you'd still have to make that two plus, and I don't know if you could do it. I couldn't. We all <laughs> We all know the score. But yeah, so I'm going to try and get one of our friends into it. I'm going to do a Bounty Goliath game, and it's just going to be fun, crazy action. And that's what Necromancer is all about. Yeah. And to anyone that enjoys just fun, crazy, doing stuff for the shits and giggles, doing stuff for trying to earn the reputation, trying to do that crazy stuff legends are told of you in the underhive that this is the game for you but you gotta love it to stick it <laughs>